Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 117. It's been a big week. Yeah. They've proved objectively to members of the local comic book community that we are qualified to fucking host a comic book podcast. Well, I think you have. I, I think I came in second to last. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, and this is a thing that, uh, that I understand that on an infinite timeline, digital comics are going to kill us all. They killed record stores. They killed bookstores. I, I did read a report recently that comic books, actual comic book sales are holding steady mm-hmm. and digital is kind of plateaued, which gives me some hope because this is the kind of experience that you're never going to get <laughs> at Comixology. No. it's a, I got an email from the owner of our local store saying, yeah, a few of us are talking on Wednesday after you guys give us all of your money uh, <laughs> to buy comic books. We're going to go to the bar across the street and... Steve, the owner, uh, put together trivia questions, like pop culture trivia questions. He's like, well, just, it's not an official thing. We're just going to have a few beers, in the case of some of us, <laughs> far more than a few. I think I killed all their Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, yeah, you did a lot of damage. <laughs> I might have knocked the end off a keg or two. But uh, yeah, it was a, we'll just sit around and have comic trivia. And it was the regular group of Wednesday folks. middle-aged folks. Um, yeah, with a couple people that uh, hadn't really met all that often, but yeah, it was it had like 12 or 13 questions on comics and movies and TV and music and uh, what, what else was there? There's a miscellaneous. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think I take miscellaneous. I did better on miscellaneous than the others. But yeah, it's a, <laughs> it, yeah, just went and hung out and started the trivia after about my eighth beer, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Because yeah, we, we bought the books early and got over there because I needed to prime the pump a little bit earlier with these we people. lay down a base of food. <laughs> a base of food and booze. And uh, I won the fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> I was not you expecting sure did. that. I, I did not. I decidedly, definitively did not. I was completely baffled by it because, yeah, this is a group of, again, these are the Wednesday regulars. They're in there with comic books and the conversations are always about the TV shows that are are going on at any particular time. These are serious fucking people. I just don't test well. My my credit score is better than my SATs. Well, and that was kind of the <laughs> I got good credit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that was kind of the hell of it. It was uh since I won, now I got to come up with the questions for the next one. <laughs> and I have started and I know one or two of those guys. Uh, Does this look infected is not a trivia question. It's it it is certainly a, not a trivial issue, <laughs> not to me. It's deadly serious fucking business. <laughs> Have you seen this in this light? Not a trivia question. Does this rag smell like chloroform? Not a trivia question. Again, uh, not trivial to me. Very important, (laughs) the answers to these questions. So, yeah, I'm not going to give... I've already started to come up with some questions. It's been a busy week, so I haven't been able to do a lot. And I'm not going to do any because, yeah, having gotten drunk, we finally revealed to everybody and said, yeah, we do this show. Come listen. And so... I handed out business cards. Yeah, so... (laughs) Uh, thanks for listening. I'm not giving up the game here, but yeah, if uh, if you could think of a good comic or TV or movie trivia question, uh, don't put it on Facebook. Email it to us. <laughs> I, need, I need all the help I can get. Crisis on Infinite Midlives at gmail.com. But it's just that's that's a kind of experience that 
I'm sure record store people had and local bookstore people had, mm. and you just you don't get it with digital comics. Well, that's why you need like a in real life IRL kids um, <laughs> platform <laughs> because what? huh what. <laughs> Because it's not just about the Tumblr and the friends you make there. Sometimes you need to see these people in the real world and interact with them because it's fun. There's no beer on the internet. That's the problem. It's, well, yeah, it's true. I mean, you can have beer in your house, but it's not the same. It's just, it's not. Right, because if you're out with other people, nobody screams you're an alcoholic. Like if you're just sitting in front of the computer getting stewed. And I say this as somebody who now refers to any trip um, out of our new place and into the world as coming down off the hill. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do live at the top of the hill, and it does feel as though we are, we are ascending from... <laughs> we're sen- des- descending from Casserly Rock. <laughs> Hopefully not naked with somebody screaming shame and chucking rocks at us. Although um, we haven't been here that long. Give it time. Give it time. Neighbor, <laughs> neighbors will figure it out. So yeah, I got to come up with questions. That was a lot of fun, and now it's up to me when it happens next, and I got to come up with fifty fucking trivia questions. Like I said, I got a few, but yeah, it's been a busy week. I had to celebrate just drinking all week long <laughs> with some fine Berkshire Brewing Company Steel Rail Pale Ale. That's right. <laughs> so this is the part where I point out yet again they are not going to give you money, uh, just send or me, free beer. Just They're- send me a send me a case like every month. I'll stop doing it. I'll get. I'll eventually. I'll find a new poison. I can be bought. I got a price. <laughs> that price is exactly thirty four dollars. That's a case. <laughs> send it on over, guys. Somebody send this show over to the the dudes or whoever. The <laughs> beer dudes. The yeah, the beer jerks. <laughs> oh, that's a good way. That that's that's gonna. Well, they like, haven't sent me any money yet. <laughs> engender okay. their goodwill. <laughs> I'm I'm in a rare mood. I don't don't know why. I got a lot of energy. Watched a lot of TV. Watched a ton of TV. It's been a very sedentary day. (laughs) Sedentary uh, couple of days. Yeah. We did it for the show. Yes. We we weren't just being lazy and shit. No. No. We we did it for you. We we didn't order almost $100 worth of Chinese food and binge watch 10 hours of television, you know, because we wanted to. Exactly. Frankly, it hurt me very badly. (laughs) To start with, it did, because I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. My fingers are very swollen, and I can't make a fist. (laughs) (laughs) From MSG or from punching yourself, or why have we done this to ourselves? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, it was for the show. Here's the deal. Uh, We get Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, because Amanda signed up for it at some point, and it just never stops. I don't yeah. know. Doesn't it? It auto renews somehow. Just money disappears, and we keep getting Rolling Stone. I, I blame buying CDs at a record store like a chump, because then they say things like, "Oh, do you like our cards? You can get special discounts." And then they sign you up like uh, in a third party kind of way to some things. <laughs> I have I have gotten more free subscriptions to Sports Illustrated that I have then canceled in my life. <laughs> yeah, we're not sporting people. Uh, here at Crisis on Infinite Midlife, but occasionally uh, they they send you like it starts out free and then then you have to pay for it ones that I don't mind um, such as Rolling Stone and Architectural Digest. But I digress. God, you got a problem. I do. Uh, this is why we this is why we live up on the hill <laughs> in in stately Crisis on Infinite Midlife manner manner and manner. No, this is <laughs> this is the home office. <laughs> but so yeah. Yeah, we get Rolling Stone, and this was the week. And even if you don't get Rolling Stone, you probably saw Robert Kirkman 
apologizing profusely for <laughs> the interview that he gave in Rolling Stone. But it's a big two-page interview. It was a big two-page interview because yeah, last week was the first episode of his show uh, Outcast. Outcast, uh, based on his comic book. And so he was doing press for it, and he was talking about the cliffhanger ending for The Walking Dead, where those of us who read the comic book know pretty much full well who Negan killed. Yeah. Uh, even though sort of tacky-ish first person, oh, it's like Jeffrey Dean Morgan is bashing me, the viewer, across the face and <laughs> neck with a baseball bat. Now, that's that's service. Really, that's involving the viewer. It really is. It's yeah, I can't flip over to Skinamax and get that kind no. of quality fucking. Not even if you bring your flashlight with you. I, I told you not to talk about that. Okay. That's... <laughs> Shh! God damn it! Your your major silicon toy. It's not a is toy. This like it's... major university. Am Again, I not supposed to like? It's not trivial. It's deadly serious. Branded <laughs> items. Yeah, fly, I don't want flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> You sure? Uh, what are they offering? I don't know. <laughs> Flashlights. I don't, see, I don't want that. I'm, I'm a goddamn grown American man. I don't need help. <laughs> I have my tube sock and my Vaseline and I'm perfectly happy. It's, this show's gone off the rails already. I don't know what the fuck happened. You started talking about Skinamax. Yeah, all right. 12. My fault. My fault. <laughs> But yeah, in the in the, uh, in the interview, uh, one of the things you know, he talked about, uh, oh no, the, that uh, cliffhanger ending, that's not a big deal. It gets people talking about the show. And he mm. also said he was disappointed in George R.R. R. Martin for telling the people doing the HBO show how the story is going to end in the books. Uh, he said he was disappointed because he said, no, I would have said, fuck you, I'm going to do my own thing. You guys go do it. And all the Game of Thrones fans got all pissed off at him. And there was a big thing on... Twitter, where Kirkman had to say, hey, look, I really respect him. I'm not even a writer compared to him. And it's, once again, you just can't say anything into a microphone without getting in trouble. Fleshlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I read it, and and I, I said to, to you, I'm like, is it time for us to do a show called Has Robert Kirkman Peaked, or are we just cynical bastards? <laughs> Yeah, because, and, and you brought it up, and initially I was like, well, I don't think it's, but the more I thought about it, it, we've spoken repeatedly on this show about it's really hard to read the Walking Dead comic now, at least yeah. on a monthly basis. The pacing's all screwed up since the television show started, so where he started out doing six six issues and out, and onto another major storyline, every six issues to fill one trade, now it's like... 18 issues and stories go on and on and on. Yeah. And then you brought up that, yeah, Fear the Walking Dead. I didn't even watch all the first season. Right. Well, and actually to backtrack, you know, this this cliffhanger, cliffhanger ending that he's defending that those of us that are fans of the comic book know perfectly well what's going to happen. Oh, totally. Um, and so, you know... <laughs> Here's a moment where you could have said to <laughs> to the people you're working with at AMC, do your own thing. Yeah. Bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, and particularly with the uh I'm I'm going to spoil it. It's uh, I'm going to assume if you're listening to the show, you probably have read The Walking Dead or at least picked up issue 100 thinking you're going to put your kids through college with it. Uh, <laughs> bad news, you're not. No. Uh, those of us we learned about that in the 80s and 90s, but yeah, it's we know full well it's going to be Glenn, and with that Glenn fake out where he rolled under the dumpster earlier in the season and you know made it look like he was dead, and then on Talking Dead, oh no, it might not be true, and left us hanging for three episodes or something to figure out how it went on. It's uh, 
the way they dealt with Glenn up until now just makes it that much worse. I was going to go with skeezier, but worse is probably worse. a better way to go. Because, all right, so those of us that are fans of the comic now know, okay, Glenn just got whacked. It's it's the uh, the decade of Negan. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it is the epoch of Negan. <laughs> the thousand year Negan. <laughs> So you're you're giving this this interview before Outcast comes out on on Cinemax, where those of us who have had problems with whether or not you you're still a thing, Mr. Kirkman, you know you're heading into into the television show now. The the stuff that began to suck with your comic book, yeah, and, <laughs> and you're giving advice to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, and and good. I'm referring to him as Mr. Kirkman because he does listen to the show. He we're, does. We're huge with producers. Oh yeah, the producers yep. everywhere listen mm. to the show. Yeah. We couldn't get the guys at the comic store to listen to it until this week. <laughs> and even then, I think it was like a pity click. Like, yeah. They gave us their card. Wasn't that, oh, it was cute, but it was sad. Pity click. Yes. <laughs> we should change the name of the show to that. Pity click. <laughs> Welcome to the pity click. I'm Rob. Oh, I'm Amanda. Boo. Um, I was talking about something. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> So, you know, it begs the question, did he, did he peak? Because, you know, we watched Fear the Walking Dead, and you started to talk about this before I then interrupted and wanted to backtrack, because it's good to live in the past. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and neither of us were particularly impressed with the first season of Fear the Walking Dead, because it, it begged the question, do we really need to have, like, a spinoff of this show? Do we need to have backstory about how this first started? Does it even matter? Zombies are zombies are zombies. Right. And it's not about like what caused the infection. It's about what metaphor the infected are representing in your story at any given time. Yeah. And that's what any good zombie or apocalypse story should be about. And what really hit me with the first season of Fear the Walking Dead, it wasn't even the first season. I think I watched the first episode. We talked about it on the show. And I think that's all I watched. And it's like, yeah, yeah, these people aren't likable. I want to... I want to hit the Johnny Depp looking heroin junkie kid in the <laughs> face with a chair. Uh, you know his his stepbrother. I want to push down a flight of stairs. But you just don't like kids. Well, to that, be fair, that doesn't help. <laughs> I want to do that with most kids, <laughs> which is why Outcast really clicked with me. But we'll get to Outcast. Um, so it felt less like Kirkman was engaging in another um, needed creative venture, and more like a cynical ploy to make money because. Walking Dead was doing so well. And that was the impression that I got from the first episode. And uh, yeah, when, like I said, I didn't watch the rest of it. You burn through it on TiVo's fast mode. Yeah. Uh, which yeah speeds everything up to 110% and matches the sound up. So it looks like everybody, uh, it should sound like the chipmunks, but instead because they correct the sound, it just looks like everybody's done a really solid bump of meth. They're yeah. just <laughs> speeding along. Yeah. But yeah, I was working on a project to get the job at major university. <laughs> so so I didn't even pay any attention to it. And yeah, we watched the first episode of this season and it didn't change my opinion in particular. I think you watched the second, but then yeah, it's uh, these things had stacked up. Yeah, because there was so much other really good TV Game of Thrones. And yeah, <laughs> so and- we weren't getting back to Fear of the Walking Dead cuz why would we when there's this other stuff? Yeah, and when it comes to Outcast it's on my polls. I have every issue. I read the first couple, and for whatever reason, it just didn't click with me. Mm. 
So it's really been one where every few issues I'll try to just, all right, let me read this one. But at this point, a whole bunch of them are in storage. So it had just sort of fallen off my radar. It's like, oh, this is something maybe I'll catch up with at some point. Well, it's a Southern Gothic coming home story and in an era that already has Southern bastards. Exactly. <laughs> That's, I don't think that was conscious, but yeah, if I want to, you know, as, as a Yankee from the Northeast... Yeah, if I want to read about Southern Bastards is quickly and easily accessible with real dickheads that are fun to read about. <laughs> and, you know, this damaged guy who can apparently knock out demons, literally knock them out. There's violence involved. <laughs> You'd think that would have hooked me in, but it just it didn't. So when they announced the Outcast TV show, until you brought this topic up, we weren't even going to watch it. Yeah, I didn't set up the TiVo to get it until you brought this up earlier this week and I got the first couple of them. So yeah, it was really kind of a legitimate question of, uh, all right, are we kind of done with Robert Kirkman? Which is a tough question because I've talked about it before. Our first San Diego Comic-Con, I've got really fond memories of, you know, this is 2006. Yeah. So the TV show was a few years in the future. I don't even think he was an image partner yet. No. And yeah, it was just he was in, he had a spotlight panel in, in one, one of, of the tiny rooms off to the side like room three yeah that, that, <laughs> that fits like 50 or 100 people and the yeah. room wasn't even full and he came in with a deck of cards and seemed genuinely surprised that anybody would want to hear him talk and yeah it just felt like oh yeah this we're an early adopter of this guy and it's just uh, maybe we're done with him so well, you were you were even more of an early adopter than i was because you were reading invincible and i think you even have like a battle pope trade yeah so <laughs> I don't. I'm not as far back as like Battle Pope issues or anything, but yeah, it's I got into the guy early on, and yeah, it stemmed from Invincible, and then into The Walking Dead. And I missed the first few issues because everybody missed the first few <laughs> issues of that. It wasn't until the first trade that it really started to. It started getting good reviews around issue four, five. And I meant to talk with the owner of our local store about it, and the first trade had just come in. And I'm like, okay, yeah, add it to my pulls at that point. So I got involved at issue seven. Mm. It's tough to read that book now because of the pacing. And he's got this other book that uh, really didn't hook me in, and a TV show that uh, at first glance we didn't particularly like. Yeah, this new show that I didn't care about. (laughs) So it's like, well, all right, we'll do it for the show. Then I'll stick a bag on its head and do it for old glory. I mixed like two different metaphors. I think there. you did. If you could also find a way to like use the phrase for queen and country. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not even to save America. <laughs> but so yeah, what we decided we would do uh, is we would uh, burn through the remainder of season two of Fear the Walking Dead. We did have the first issue of Outcast in the house because with the last Walking Dead trade, they included it yep. as sort of a, an no, incentive. Really? Watch the to, show. Yeah, as an incentive. So we just happened to have that in the house. Uh, and we decided to watch the first two uh, episodes of Outcast. So mm-hmm. that's really kind of the order we did it in. Yesterday was most of Fear the Walking Dead, and today was mostly uh, Outcast. Yes. And I went into Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, just dreading it. I didn't particularly. What's <laughs> it? I've got. Oh, the, these assholes again. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I've got the notes that I took while we were watching it, and the first one is: it's not a good sign that I felt I needed five beers before I was able to face the back nine of the show. That's true. 
AME keeps hyping going to their website to have a two-screen experience. I have trouble facing one screen. Uh, I just realized the hashtag for Fear the Walking Dead is hashtag fear TWD so that nobody goes on Twitter with FTWD. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was my attitude going into this. It's like, this is going to suck. It really didn't suck. (laughs) To be fair, we got drunker as we sat there. Yeah, it's uh, my my first note from episode seven is, uh, which we watched today, is surprise. Apparently, I blacked out at some point during episode six. <laughs> I don't remember a couple of things in the last week's Fear the Walking Dead. I enjoyed it more than I really thought I was gonna. I mean, uh, did you have a similar kind of... I, I think I did. It took about three episodes. But it took... It took some of the more peripheral characters having more of their own storylines to take away from the shitty fucking family we were supposed to be following. They are awful people. <laughs> it, it became more compelling as it went on. Yeah. Compelling in their but when, awfulness. When the mysterious guy from season one, Victor Strand, start, suddenly started to have his own storyline that led to some other important things in the show. Um, when Daniel, the guy who used to, to be a, Butcher, and I I use that in the term of like not like torturer. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Um, during during the Civil War in his own country, you know when he started to have more of a storyline, then I became more interested in the show. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it really took me two or three episodes before I really started to be like, uh, okay, this is hooking me in more than I thought. Yeah, I was fully prepared to go into it, and yeah, just hoist the black flag and be like, this sucks. And this is, and I got jokes. I got jokes in my notes that I'll get to that I wrote during it. Yeah. There was more going on there than, than I really thought. I mean, you, you sort of brought up the point that the showrunners have been saying that it's supposed to be a family drama first. Yes. As opposed to a zombie show. Yep. And certainly putting things on a boat keep zombies to a minimum. There were long stretches of the show that could just be people caught in any random bad spot and forced to hang out with each other. Yeah, which, you know, they got off the boat just often enough that you couldn't bitch that it was like season two of The Walking Dead. (laughs) Yeah, God, being stuck on a yacht would be even worse than being stuck on Herschel's fucking farm. Yeah. But they it did give them the opportunity to to do bottle shows as necessary if they needed to or or bottle moments <laughs> like yeah if they needed to really reinforce right we have to see how how the the characters are playing out against one another in an enclosed space where there's nowhere to go <laughs> yeah and they, I think they took advantage of that um, particularly in the episode where uh, what's it Connor and his goons. That managed to intercept them after... In the uh, previous season, uh, somebody thought it was a good idea to give Madison's daughter, Alicia, um, a shortwave radio because kids like to talk on the phone, right? And <laughs> Oh, yeah. We just watched Pump Up the Volume, and certainly everybody <laughs> likes to talk on the shortwave radio so... because everybody I know has a shortwave radio. It's That's how I communicate with people. That's why I'm so fucking alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she I, season one's kind of a blur I think maybe she was supposed to be monitoring channels but then she uses it to like see if anybody's out there because she's a teenager and children are death and, yes they are <laughs> and she finds what sounds like a nice boy <laughs> just a nice fella um, and she starts talking to him and uh, surprise they're pirates 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you knew you had to get the pirates in this eventually. And that, that turns out to be Connor and his crew, one of whom is the nice boy she was talking to, because no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, one thing I've noticed in the TV Walking Deads uh, is that the zombie virus uh, tends to spare types. Mm. Uh, and for the most part in The Walking Dead, it's uh, normally uh, attractive people. And in <laughs> Fear the Walking Dead... It's uh, skinny as a rail douchebags with either Kurt Cobain or Christian Slater hair. Mm. Uh, they're the only ones who get to survive the apocalypse. Damn. All right, I got to get a ratty cardigan. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I've always had the Kurt Cobain hair, so <laughs> I'm going to be fine. I need to lose about 120 pounds. <laughs> My skinny jeans could, <laughs> could catch wind and move a yacht. All right, so I'll think about that the next time I, I order $100 worth of Chinese food. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think the zombie apocalypse is right around the corner. Besides, they'll never get to us here in the hill. <laughs> they'll eat the little people first. <laughs> um, in any event, the uh, as things moved along, we're seeing Madison... Madison Trying to keep her family together, except what it what it really turns out to be her her family being like Nick and Alicia, not really Travis, who is her. I, I think they're married now. I or maybe they're not. Again, they, I was I was writing uh, software while you watched the most of the first Travis, season. Travis is definitely divorced from his now dead wife, ex wife, at the end of season one. Well, <laughs> dead I think makes ex automatic. Um, but the the effect of of the wife or ex wife's death on his son, he never really wanted to deal with, and the son was already resentful of the fact that dad had taken up with this other family. Right. So before the zombie apocalypse even hit, you know, he, he didn't want to go spend the weekend with Travis and that family. I do remember that from the first episode. No, that's, that's, that's a kid who knows for his own, like just psychic health that he does not want to engage. Right. (laughs) And by the way, uh, retroactive spoiler warnings, were going to ruin the entire Second season of Fear the Walking Dead and big parts of the first two episodes of Outcast. Yeah. So not only is he forced to go spend the weekend with the father he doesn't want to be around because he's angry, things go completely tits up and the zombie apocalypse hits and now he's stuck with the dad he doesn't want to be with. Yeah. And the parent that he does identify with and want to spend time with, he watches his presumptive stepmother uh, help murder her. <laughs> in his eyes, yes. In his eyes, even though she was infected and he doesn't understand. And, you know, someday when you're all grown up, you'll understand. And, 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 and. No, what it does is it causes his child to completely fucking unravel. <laughs> uh, of and, course. And that's, that was actually kind of one of the interesting things to watch play out over this season. Um, for some, it might have seen, seemed abrupt. But knowing, as I do, that children are little monsters, <laughs> really it was just his true nature coming out. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a sort of a theme of a lot of apocalyptic fiction that who you really are comes out when society is no longer there and you don't need to keep up appearances nearly as much. Yeah. When the zombie apocalypse hits, I'm done being sober. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> I've already told you, Amanda, you're going to have to drag my fucking drunken... Zombie apocalypse hits. You're done being sober now. I know. <laughs> I'll find a, made a way to make it worse. It is, fuck the fine folks at Berkshire Brewing Company. Now me, they're never going to give you beer. Me and my buddy Jack Daniels are just going to ride into the zombie dawn. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> you don't say. Th- this is me when the zombie apocalypse hits. Now I can get as loaded as I want, <laughs> which is pretty damn loaded. So, <laughs> so this kid, it doesn't help that he's continually, bur- you know, being like bur- barraged. Um, sure, we'll call that a word. Deluged with horrors because it's the zombie apocalypse. Um, he he starts figuring out that you know the only way out is is through, and that means protect you. And he's feeling like an outsider, so he has no reason to protect anybody else in the group. <laughs> right. And we see him become more and more selfish and erratic as it goes on. Yeah. And the biggest problem is, I don't know the actor who plays him, but God, he's got a punchable face. So the worse <laughs> he got, the more I was like, oh, somebody stick a pin in him. Just push him off a cliff. You're on a boat. Just sort of, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I slipped on the deck. I don't know where he went. I heard a splash in the dark. Um, and so for this kid, he begins to realize, all right, so in order to survive, I have to kill the zombies. Check. Got it. And they don't call them zombies. They might call them infected. They haven't gotten to the point where they're calling them walkers yet. And one of the themes this season is, are they truly dead? What? Who are these things? What do they represent? And And for this kid... Killing them is a slippery slope that leads to, well, this other guy who's in Connor's crew, Reed, um, is also a threat. I should kill him. Right. <laughs> and and then I, I, I view Madison and her family as a threat to my relationship or what I have left of it with my dad. I, I should kill them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and by the time Travis realizes how sick his kid is... <laughs> It's 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 almost too late. Well, it's and it's sort of a natural progression that I thought I didn't particularly think it was abrupt. I think his really erratic behavior seemed like it came on abruptly, but and maybe because we binge watched. Yeah, but I mean, if you if you look back, and again, I'm just basing on on what you said, where he watched Travis uh, and Madison kill his mother. Yeah. Okay, so if that is acceptable and there's a question particularly as it goes on later where some people think well oh no these aren't monsters they're just horribly sick versions of our family which is something that comes up in every piece of zombie fiction ever yeah yeah okay well if they really were alive then it was murder and if that's okay to protect yourself so I, I could see the progression as it went along. Yeah. I still wanted to knock him the fuck out. Oh, yeah. So when Travis finally um, has to go after the kid because he's gone fucking feral and rogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then tracks him down and has to tackle him and punch the shit out of him for him to come to his senses. I kind of cheered. <laughs> I, I, I kind of thought he maybe should have thrown another punch or two or maybe kicked a kidney. I just... It, <laughs> But this is also why I don't have children of my own. Well, and also, uh, Travis is a fucking moron. One of my notes from that particular episode. Because he... He He went after him without shoes or some shit. What the fuck was that? He just goes off across the fucking Mexican landscape in his socks. (laughs) And my joke is, Travis, leader of men, forgetter of shoes. That's not... That's not a guy... No, yeah, you go off with your fucking retard son and figure out what's going on in the outback. So, I mean, what other family dramatic kind of stuff? I get what they say about, oh, it's a family drama. It's certainly an extreme one if it Mm. is. You you brought up a recurring theme of people's upbringing 
coming back to haunt them and how it deals with how they raise their children. Your and mom the, and dad, the sins. they fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> sort of every family drama ever also. But this becomes writ large, and they and they start going down some sort of like, you know, micro-niches, like Daniel. <laughs> um, Daniel, yeah, he was Reuben Blades, right? Yes. Um, some of the names I still uh, And I forget what country he's, he's supposed to be from in this. I like I think he's like a San, Sandinista or some shit like that. Um, <laughs> Guantanamo. I don't know. I, I don't know, but um, some Central American country where he he was part of the torturers and the death squads. He was not on the side of the rebels, and it started young for him. And he he by the end is recounting to his dead wife because she's haunting him, <laughs> as yeah. one does. I guess I never. But this is also about his ghosts too. Um, in, in when you're surrounded by the dead, your your own go- ghosts become quite palpable. <laughs> I I would. I would say I would imagine, except I almost guarantee his character was influenced by, and I can't remember the name of the documentary, which has been on my Netflix queue for forever, where, yeah, it's one of these countries that had a giant purge Mm. of some kind. Filmmakers went and talked to people who did it, who have since, okay, that's over. They've gone back to their regular life and asked them to talk about it. Mm. And apparently they didn't really, yeah, sure, we'll act it out. And they were all the heroes of their own story. They were defending their country and... I almost guarantee that documentary probably was, okay, why don't we have a character like this? Except, yeah, those guys apparently in the, the movie are only really haunted occasionally if somebody sort of forces them to face it. And I guess if you're surrounded by the walking dead, maybe that is enough of a trigger. That might be enough of a trigger. Yes, but um, I, I didn't mean to completely derail you. Well, no, but so for him, I, I again, I felt bad because, uh, spoiler, he doesn't seem to make it at the end of the season. And he was my favorite character. <laughs> yeah, he, he was all right. He, he became more actually erratic as it went along. Yeah, but you don't blame him because um, he's he's haunted by all of the death that he himself inflicted well before the infected ever became an issue. Right. And, and he had been holding it together just fine before the apocalypse or seemingly um, had, had a life, was a barber, had a kid, seemingly normal existence. Yeah, uh, which is why I think that movie about people who then just went back to their lives after having that kind of life though it was probably an influence. Yeah, we got to watch that for the show. For the show. We'll <laughs> for, watch the show. For, the show. for the show. Um so yeah, he he goes all the way back to the the first life that he he took and he was like 8 when one of the other um soldiers put a gun in his hand and said, you know, Daniel take the gun and he kills this other rebel, Some I guess. dude. Um so that's he was the first victim uh, in a series of victims <laughs> that he would take. Yeah, that was a little heavy-handed it for was. me. But the idea being that because he had confessed all of his sins to his wife and his wife was accepting of his sin, um, that she went unburied during season one when she died rather than uh, turn because she she killed herself uh, with a a cattle bolt to the head or something like (laughs) I apparently missed some shit in the first season. Yeah, there was a whole section uh, where folks were quarantined, and that's where Nicholas met Strand. And in that same medical complex, because uh, Daniel's wife had gotten sick, she was taken there because they wanted to keep anyone who might turn so they could be contained. And that was where they did experiments where they learned, uh, the medical professionals and the military learned, that if you put a bolt in the infected's head, it would kill them. Okay. So she actually put the bolt to her own head. (laughs) 
It's fucking punk rock. All right. <laughs> um, but that she then nobody ever found her and she was unburied. And apparently in, in Daniel's tradition, it's you have to bury your dead and they have to be put to rest. Otherwise, they will haunt you. Well, in that particular episode, uh, yeah, Strand was doing the same thing with uh, what's his name? Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, a big theme of that particular episode. I think people are going to have to get over that. Yeah. Once the zombie apocalypse hits. But the the idea being, either way, it's a metaphor for closure. When you have to have closure and and it seems elusive, what do you do? Because otherwise your world unravels. And if closure has been caused by something that is so deeply in your past, such as something that fucked you up in childhood, you need to find a way to move on from it when you're in this sort of crisis situation. Otherwise, it's a distraction that will get you killed. Well, and it's kind of a direct... Almost, you know, hey, let's wallop you over the head like uh, I want to do with Travis's kid. Um, <laughs> uh, Chris, is that his name? Chris. Yeah, yeah. Chris. Yeah. You're a fine actor because uh, I really want to hurt you bad. Uh, well, we were talking your character, with, not you. Jesus we Christ. We were talking with Pixie Sticks and Trebuchet um, the other day just casually about actors who play characters that like do it so well that you actually hate the character <laughs> and not in a good way. Like you just you just feel anger when oh, they come on like um the the waif on game of thrones like that that awful girl who keeps oh, tormenting yeah. aria like oh. like i appreciate the work that she's doing if i ever see that girl on the street i'm gonna punch her in the face and I, i'm sorry i'm sure you're a nice girl <laughs> but damn yeah. i mean for for me it was always uh jake lloyd anakin skywalker oh. the thing i always said and i may have said on this show is uh, man when the kids at his school would play star wars they wouldn't let him play anakin yeah. skywalker yeah apparently it fucked up his life real good so i feel kind of bad about that but speaking of childhood demons then again we weren't supposed to hate anakin no so maybe that is his fault it might be his fault i blame george lucas though mostly. yeah <laughs> ultimately all sins flow to george lucas <laughs> But yeah, it was a, a sort of a direct metaphor of these kids are all disintegrating in their own way, being faced by this horror and constant death. You've got yeah, Chris literally disintegrating and deciding, fuck it, I'll survive no matter what, and everyone's my enemy and I'll destroy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, heroin Nick, uh, who I couldn't stand in the f- couple first episodes and got to like a little better, but even then, as he started to fall into Celia's faith-based, oh, everything will be all right uh, because these people, uh, we're all immortal now. Nick was such a, like, it it felt like a bait and switch because he seems like the character who, okay, fine, so he's obnoxious, he uses, he, uh, this is the thing he has to overcome for his, you you feel like, you know, there's the heroic cycle. So, fine, how does he get redeemed? How does he find empowerment so that he becomes the hero of the story after being in such tragic circumstance. But no, he, he kind of pulls out of it and seems to, to get his shit together and show that he can be awesome in the face of the apocalypse because he's got a particular set of skills. He's the first one to discover that if he covers himself in zombie gore, he can walk among them and not get attacked. Yep. Um, but in reality, what it comes down to is he's trading one drug, one crutch for another. And, in the void left by the heroin use, he is filling it with Celia's cult of undead religion. At first, you want to say to Madison, no, just just let him be. He's going to grow up. Celia's not trying to replace you. And then you, when you realize how sinister Celia... Celia is Tomas, who is uh, Victor Strand's boyfriend's mother, who was the housekeeper of a 
the Amelia Corporation, which is where the, uh, the Abigail Corporation, I'm sorry, which is where the yacht that Strand has them on takes its name. The, the one thing that I noticed about it is it appeared to be a te- tequila distillery. No, I think it was a vineyard. Because they had a whole like vineyard, or maybe it was olives or something. But. Either way, the, oh no, it was, it was definitely some kind of uh, distilling or, or brewing operation. Because to me, that was the greatest tragedy of the season: <laughs> of The Walking Dead. All that booze. Yeah, goddamn it, Daniel! You think the zombies are making more hooch? You son of a bitch! That's just every time they got like invaded on their boat and somebody got into their whiskey, I wanted to hurt somebody. Like, no, <laughs> that's a finite property. Yeah, <laughs> goddamn! Stop it. <laughs> So Nick is Nick's mom's instincts. It turns out are correct, and it was funny because there were moments, and I'm still not finding Madison particularly likable. Not in the way that I find Rick likable. Go on. And I'm I'm trying to figure out how much of that is the character, and how much of that is the gender of the character. Honestly, because it's a hell of a thing as a woman for you to say, but go ahead. I know because she is trying to take a certain amount of leadership. However, it's very much confined to her kids. Not that that makes her a bad person. Um, we we hate kids. Maybe it makes her a bad person. <laughs> no, no. Um, there's a certain, and uh, I can't blame her necessarily. There's a certain level at which, like the the way that she wants to protect her kids, blinds her to the needs of the community as a group that I didn't necessarily see Rick go through, although I'm sure that I can find examples if I really wanted to go look. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. But I mean, what what specific actions? I understand that she's protective of Nick because he's got a junky past and he could relapse at any moment. There, you know, There's time when Nick is on a beach looking for supplies to bring back to the yacht and he comes across some, uh, eventually some amoxicillin, because one of the passengers has a, a, a cut that is infected and needs to needs antibiotics. Right. Um, but he also is saying to Daniel as they're going through things, no, you're looking for things that end up in like oxycillin or <laughs> codone. Or <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, and again, I was kind of drunk by that episode, but it seems to me he came across some either oxy or uh, Percocets or something and left them. I, I forget. I know he found the amoxicillin. I don't know if he found other things. Again, I was drinking too. But um, Madison just seems to want to put him in bubble wrap and you're in the zombie apocalypse and I'm sorry, you, you can't. <laughs> bubble wrap is not an option at this point. Either your kid's going to nut up and you got to let him live his life and he's going to make mistakes and he's going to fall down and that's what kids do. And sometimes it sucks and sometimes they fall hard. Sure. But you got to let it happen. Well, is there a specific thing that you can point to? I mean, the, the well, one she, le- like she got upset and confronted Strand because she let uh, he let Nick or Nick volunteered to to go set up the meat to go get Lu- is it Luis the other uh fuck the guy who actually is Celia's son yeah I forget you now she she took you know umbrage at that and like your kid's eighteen years old yeah the the thing that leaps to my mind is uh, closing Celia who is the leader of this tiny community, mm-hmm. into the cage to basically kill her despite the effect it will have on everybody else in this little tiny community right? to protect Nick yeah, because of her perception that was probably accurate that uh, Nick was... Uh, Cecilia like was going to, to supplant her as mom. 
I, I all right, that makes a lot of sense now that you mention it. I was <laughs> thinking more, you know, oh, you're replacing his need for pills with a need for Jeebus or whatever it was. She she wants to be needed by Nick. She she we've already discovered that they have a dysfunctional relationship and and she they're not healthy together. Like in the first season, she she has a stash of drugs from the high school where she was working as a guidance counselor that she's piecemealing out to him to keep him level enough rather than letting him completely detox. Well, to be fair, it was the zombie apocalypse and yeah, I don't need somebody screaming for heroin <laughs> hanging off the back of the car. He'll pass out eventually. <laughs> uh, then, then again, I don't have any moral high ground. I, I intend to go straight to the hard booze the minute I hear something thump against the door. Yeah, so but I mean, so she's willing to to bust into illegal drugs to keep her kid level. <laughs> yeah. All right, you've you've got a point. I, I think for me, taking a look at how she's acting, it, it might be as simple when comparing her with Rick to say that she is a mother, period, whereas Rick is a father and a cop yeah, who is used to having the mindset of protecting a community as much out of the day as protecting his wife and son. And I, and I get that. And to to a lesser argument, she's a mother and she is also a guidance counselor, which makes her part of a larger school community and therefore ought to know the difference between making a choice just for a small group of your own um, as well as a larger community. And I've never been either a cop or a guidance counselor, but I think the man with the gun who patrols and intervenes <laughs> with people and breaks up fights probably has more of a mindset of, I have to protect everyone than the guidance counselor who says, boy, wouldn't it be great if they all went to Harvard? <laughs> it's not apples and apples. I know, and I'm not saying that it is, but I, I'm just saying she demonstrated in in the first season to a certain degree an understanding of situational dynamics for individuals, such as the kid that we never see again that had the knife that he brought to school. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's probably dead. He's long dead. <laughs> um, and making hard and difficult choices, you know, that don't necessarily follow the rules that we have not seen extrapolated beyond. Nope, I'm very much enmeshed with my family, and I'm just all about my family right now. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you've got a point, and uh, I think I don't know how much of that is on purpose mm -hmm. uh, of saying uh, no. She can only look at the world through these narrow blinders of have to protect my son. Particularly uh, my son, who I have not been able to protect. Right. You now, in the standard societal sense, I I failed him. He's sleeping in, a, in an abandoned church <laughs> with this chick he's banging and zombies. That's a fail. So now I'm in a place where it is a very binary choice. I have to keep him alive and I can use whatever means I feel are necessary because there is no society to say, no, I can't shoot the bitch or lock her in a cage or whatever to get her away from my son. I know. I just, I see that sort of as this, this weird extension of, you know, they say like, you know, physician heal thyself. You're a guidance counselor, you're a mental health professional, and yet you do not understand the steps that you need to take if somebody is not re responding to appropriate interventions when they are abusing substances and it's impacting your family negatively. 
And you've got a point, and I, I think there's a myopia that sets in when you have a child. It's part of the reason I never wanted them. Yeah. I'm a selfish prick way down deep. And if I want to get drunk five nights a week, I'm kidding, it's seven. If I want to get drunk seven <laughs> nights a week and, Just own it. and spend all my money on comic books that some of them, <laughs> oh yeah, I still get outcast, I'm not reading it, or uh, home theater systems, or Trips to San Diego Comic-Con, I don't want anything in the way of that. And so I made a conscious choice. This thing that would probably make me become more important to me than that, I don't want that. Because it, it, it seems like a, a boring time suck to me, to be brutally honest. But we see that kind of myopia in Rick mm. uh, early in, I forget if it was this season. No, it was the season before when they were still at the prison where Rick had decided, I am no longer in charge. I am a farmer to protect my son and my daughter. This is what I, I'm not going to endanger myself on behalf of not even strangers, these other people in this community that I help build. Mm. I'm not going to endanger myself because of them. And that in and of itself put the prison community at risk. Because they had no clear leader. And destroyed it, yeah. frankly. <laughs> So he eventually turned around. We may see a similar arc with Madison, but I think there are examples where Rick has made the decision, uh, no, take the cup away from me, man. I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to do it for my kid who won't leave the house and my infant daughter who's been an infant for like five years at this fucking <laughs> point. Yes, and I think this is why we wanted to talk about this ultimately as it, it feels as though perhaps Kirkman and his vision has not peaked. There's certainly enough to talk about this where we're not just going, oh, another thing about this that sucked. <laughs> yeah, and I was fully <laughs> expecting to come into this doing that. <laughs> I, I put on our Twitter feed last night, it's like, wow, this, this pen I'm using is a fine writing implement. Unfortunately, I'm using it to take notes on Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> but yeah, after a few episodes, I, I really began to get into it. There's, there's more going Going on there than I originally thought, and what I originally thought was, yeah, it's this you know, built family of insufferable fuckheads <laughs> dealing with the early parts of the zombie apocalypse that I don't care about. That's why The Walking Dead worked. He woke up and it was all over already. Yeah, it was okay. We're already at Act Two of Dawn of the Dead and moving on from there. Can I just say? <laughs> You brought up earlier, it's like, oh, nobody calls them zombies. Uh, like, nobody, for all these stories, The Walking Dead, uh, 28 Days Later, Fear the Walking Dead, that pay such tribute to George Romero, it'd be nice if any one of them acknowledged he existed in the world ever. <laughs> for any of these stories to work, George Romero has to be blotted out from history. The only story I ever read that acknowledged him, and I thought did it really cleverly, was by uh, Mira Grant, which is uh, the, pen, oh, okay. the pen name of uh, Shannon. Oh, I forget her name, uh, but it's, it's a pen name for uh, an urban fantasy writer who did a trilogy of zombie stories called Newsflesh. Yeah. And part of the conceit was when the zombie apocalypse hit, everybody knew what to do because of the George <laughs> Romero movies. So they were able to get it under control and they still lived with this infection where if you died, you came back, but they were able to get it under control and they so revered George Romero. Everybody named their kids George or Georgette. Nice. <laughs> or, nice. It's a, but otherwise, yeah, everybody just needs to pretend that, uh, uh, the George Romero didn't exist in this story that just pays tribute to him utterly, that wouldn't exist without Night of the Living Dead. 
So they they go on through this in terms of, you know, the, the theme of family. We learned that Strand actually has created his own family with his partner, Thomas, and that is what's driving him to get back to Baja. And that was his destination that he was keeping from everybody on the yacht. Um, yeah, which went a long way toward humanizing him because one of the things that I pointed out and, and took a note on was one of the things that I did find interesting, particularly in this season of Fear the Walking Dead, was... Strand was such a mercenary tin pot. This is my boat, my rules. This is how it's going to go. It it almost struck me as, okay, let's imagine The Walking Dead, but if when Rick woke up, everybody was reporting to like the governor. Yeah. Or not necessarily Negan, but if your first experience was, oh God, I'm in, I'm surviving, but I'm in this awful group Yeah, that's just... Uh, not only just leaving people to die, but actively you know, in the scene where they're towing the raft and he just comes down and unilaterally cuts it loose to let them go and basically die on the ocean. Yeah, there's there's a certain point where um, Strand is so protective of his resources that he's already extended to um, like five, six other people beyond just himself and Nick, who is... Um, the the only two that his his contact is expecting when they finally are going to make land to right. get to Baja, that he just yeah he turns away people that he sees on the water that are clearly in trouble and in danger when a girl and her badly burned brother from a plane accident um, just want to be towed in their own raft behind them and then you know they'll they'll find their way to san diego eventually yeah he cuts them adrift because he doesn't want to waste the resources and and lose time and momentum because of the drag of the raft (laughs) yeah is that the same episode where uh where nick crawled out of the water into the middle of a tent city yeah this yeah (laughs) one of the jokes i wrote down was yeah, we, we see Nick crawl out of the ocean and he's wandering through this tent city of just desperate people. And it was San Diego. And I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, he found the line for Hall H. <laughs> wow, things have gotten really dire. <laughs> not, not to interject. No, but, but you, you're right. So to see what is driving him, is it's just as fierce as what's driving Madison in protecting her own family. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was a nice counterpoint. That was a nice reveal. And again, part of what sold me on season two was the storylines for some of these other less used cast members from season one and yep. how, how that was playing out. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the character work was was pretty effective. Everybody, in ways, and it's, it's really not fair for me to say because I watched the first episode of season one and kind of tuned out because, again, I wanted to back over all of them with my car. <laughs> And then the first episode of this season, so it's I really hadn't given it a chance. But yeah, all the characters really felt like they underwent some serious development. And you know, then they had some more minor peripheral characters to to carry that thought even further. They they meet these doomsday preppers on an island. Yeah, <laughs> who have um, you know suicide pills? They're they're ready to punch their own clock. Although the only one that's really aware of that is the father. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's been telling everybody, because uh, his son said uh, when he was showing his action figures to Nick, he's like, yeah. I don't have to be afraid because I have a power pill, and when I take it, they can't hurt me. Yeah. So clearly dad's been sort of laying the ground of, yeah, when the fences go down, so do we. We're going to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that's that's how he wants to protect his family. He recognizes that 
because he's he's got his own shortwave radio. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that that things have gone down all along the Pacific coast and well inland to the continental divide. So it's only a matter of time. So he's got up fences, and that's all he can do is mend fences until he can't do that anymore. And then when eventually everything comes down, his way of protecting his family is to take them with him. <laughs> yeah, and there were certain things in that episode that were very affecting. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, wasn't uh, the daughter becoming a zombie. Which was a nice callback, though, to um, Night of the Walking Dead. Night of the Living I'm Dead. Sorry, Night of, yeah, Night of the Living Walking Dead. It, it, it absolutely was. Who's been drinking? Well, it's, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, as I'm watching it, I'm like, uh, wow, watching a daughter kill her mother would be very affecting if it weren't for the fact that, yeah, they shot it like Michael Bay's worst fucking... It, ADD instance of, you know, oh, quick cut so you don't see what's going on. And yeah, if George Romero didn't fucking do it in The Living Dead. I, I thought it was a nice homage, I thought. Because you recognize what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, uh, I suppose that's true. It's a, Look, uh, number one, I wanted that mother to die when I realized it's like, oh, really? You named your kids, uh, what was it, Willa and Harry? After the fucking <laughs> royal children? It's like, oh yeah, you, you gotta go. <laughs> you don't deserve that. You know, that, maybe that's all she's got. Before the zombie apocalypse, she had the internet. It's, it sounds like the dad didn't let them off the island even before that. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose because <laughs> he's a doomsday prepper, and you know, of all the reality television, and I say that in like big bunny quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Out there, that's like the one thing I've managed to avoid watching because after a certain point, I can only yell at my TV so much. <laughs> True. We got neighbors here up on the hill. We got to be careful. It's not going to happen. You guys are nuts. Just get a bulkhead. And it gets what, what, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I wrote down uh, as, yeah, that prepper dad was showing you know, yep they napalm this city and this city and this city on the west coast i'm like yeah really that's what you're reduced to here in boston all you gotta do is just give the order just machete anybody who doesn't answer when you yell out fitzy or Sully. <laughs> that's all we'll clean up after ourselves fitzy sully <laughs> kill it yep kill it with fire do you, do you want a beer uh, brains kill it <laughs> and one of the questions I actually wrote down during that is, you know, I'm not sure how far at this point uh, of this episode we were into the zombie apocalypse, but clearly, at least the father in this has decided, yeah, this is the end of all things. Yeah, this is this is nature resetting itself, and and this is um, what comes next in order to reset the world because human beings did this to themselves. Yeah, but he's clearly, he's done. Is it The only way this ends is, nobody's coming to save us. The only way this ends is when they get us. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, what would it take for you, Amanda, to say, okay, it's we're all done? I mean, it, um, would it be, yeah, shit, they, they napalm Chelsea? Uh, now they can take Chelsea. Would we even notice if they napalm Chelsea? I'd smell it. <laughs> um... <laughs> They took the bar. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't start with me. They took the bar! The whole fucking bar! And suicide. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, right now we we live on the hill, but we're surrounded by people. So we're, we're in a vulnerable place here. It's, it's a question of what resources we would have to get to some place that is more um, fortifiable. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's the question. What would have to happen to be like, okay... Uh, this isn't coming back. It's time to abandon the home office. It's time to get in the car, and it's survival mode time. 
the cops aren't coming up the hill. The army's not coming up the hill. I think... And there may not be an answer to the question. Yeah, there is no good good answer to the question. I mean, when when everything goes radio silent and you can't follow the news anymore or or even pull up anything on on radio bands because there's no electricity, when when is enough? (laughs) I will tell you, when I run out of beer, I will go to the liquor store. (laughs) And if I can't get in there, then yeah, it's probably the end of the world. I mean, it, it's more of a thought experiment. It, yeah. it, it occurred to me, okay, this is however many weeks after this started, and this guy has clearly decided it's never going to stop. I mean, we've got a lot of alcohol. Uh, we do, but we also have uh, big sliding glass doors and the zombies will come yeah. right through. Well, let's just say, like, this is this, this, the home office is not easily um, defended. <laughs> no, not in any way. <laughs> uh, so I. I might feel inclined to at least want to take a visit to Home Depot for some sort of corrugated metal product um, that could be screwed into the door jams to try to reinforce things. But beyond that... <laughs> You're assuming I have any ability to screw shit into a door frame. I at least... We are so dead! <laughs> We're fucked! I, I at least bought you know some duct tape and there might be a tarp somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it would take for me to be like, okay, it's time to go. There, there's no more help. I, I don't know what it would be. It was just. It was interesting to me that that guy clearly had picked the moment where, yeah, yeah it's it's done and it's done to the point that we're not going to survive this. But he had also picked his space. Like there was a reason they had moved to that island. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And it was it was attached to. I mean, they were they were uh, caretakers for some sort of public park on that island where there was camping. Um, it was in a whole sort of resort recreation area. But he had made the point somewhere in that episode that the, he wanted his family with him and in a place where they could get back to the land. Yeah, it's, it's so that guy had his own particular set of these are the circumstances. Uh, yeah, and for me, it's probably the minute I don't have internet, I don't want to <laughs> live anymore anyway. So, and I might go with you. I remember how I reacted when I had no internet the first San Diego that we went to. Oh uh. my god, I've never seen somebody. You know, they they talk about oh, is internet addiction a real thing? Yes, internet addiction is a real fucking thing. Yes, it is. Amanda <laughs> trying desperately to log onto her email on a fucking razor flip phone in the pre three G days. <laughs> oh. Just yeah. staring at the kid on the computer at FedEx. <laughs> Kinkos. <laughs> staring daggers in the back of his head because you had to check your email. Motherfucker, get off that machine. <laughs> it, was, it was just horrible. <laughs> but I digress. So there's there's that piece going on. And then um, Celia and, and her reaction about family and the, the idea that this is God's plan and, and therefore we have to continue to take care of family after they have transformed into this new form, new life form, new brain dead life form. Well, she, she doesn't want to own that they're dead. They're, they're merely changed. And, and our obligation to family is that we must continue to care for them, even though they are now dangerous. (laughs) Hey, they're, they're drooling and can't seem to respond to stimuli. So there were parts there that that kind of corresponded to Herschel and the farm at the end of season two. (laughs) Oh, there absolutely was, to the point of, yeah, keeping them caged up and feeding them. Yeah. But uh, that's something that uh, would happen. There there are going to be people. And frankly, it was something that did occur to me. Uh, Number one, (laughs) something that occurred to me, 
to a large percent of the expanded cable audience of a show like The Walking Dead, the concept of Celia and the help rising up and seizing your property is probably horror in and of itself. Yeah. But the other thing that occurred to me is you don't see in a lot of these zombie apocalyptic stories of religious armed gangs Mm. taking any control. And there would have to be, you know, there are religions that handle snakes. You know, you have well, to believe actually, these- the, the, the parishioners at the church um, outside of Celia's property were so concerned about her that that whole sermon was to, that they showed, was to get them riled up. They were going to take weapons and they were going to go. But Celia knew about it and she hot-shotted their communion, so they all turned. Oh, okay. That's uh, like I said. I blacked out for a lot of episode six. I think so. You know, she she knows perfectly well that that others see her as a threat, and yeah, she. I, I don't know under what circumstances she had been providing communion to this church, yeah. but she she slipped in some of the infected blood, and yeah. They- <laughs> I, I wrote a note on your notes uh, around because it, it was a callback to in the actual Walking Dead when uh, who was it was it, was it Herschel Some, when the cannibals set upon um, one of Rick's crew and and they were infected because they had been bit. Um, oh yeah, yep. and then he starts <laughs> screaming about tainted meat, tainted meat, bitches or. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God, I forget which character it was now. But uh, yeah, and I just found your note in there. And then I just put in like all caps in your notes, like communion wafer equals tainted meat. <laughs> so I, I think we can identify exactly when I blacked out during episode six. Because, <laughs> you know, there's the whole like, tra- transubstantiation thing. And if this is the, the body and the blood of Christ, well, it's tainted. And now you're infected. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you think about it... An evangelical church that believes in the rapture and that legitimately in Revelations the dead will rise from their graves. Think about these mega churches in parts of the country where every parishioner has five guns. I think you would definitely see roving religious There's gangs. a mega church three miles down the street from us. I know. It's confusing. We don't know why it's there, but it's there. <laughs> it's, you don't see a lot in this, uh, this part Not of the country. You see a lot. <laughs> But I just thought it was an interesting little tidbit. It's like, I don't think I've seen that in any zombie story before. And I think you absolutely would if the dead started rising from their graves. Yeah, there would be much more cultish behavior around that. And maybe that's something that they'll explore more thoroughly because they're in a portion of the country where one is more likely to see that. I don't know. I mean, you could have made the same argument when they were in the South, I guess, on Walking Dead. But... Yeah, but this has taken place in California and Mexico, and at least California, it has a similar reputation as the Northeast United States of being far more secular. Well, at least L.A. does, or portions of L.A., then you True. start moving your way out. <laughs> yeah, I guess you got a point. And you start getting into, you know, there's a lot of homeschooling in California. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, and not too many vaccinations, so we don't need yeah. <laughs> we don't need the zombie apocalypse. The measles will do it. The measles apocalypse. That's <laughs> I don't think you I don't think you can get a good uh, mumps apocalypse story going on. That that'll be what does this, you know. And if they ever do this on one of these shows, if it uh, spinoffs of The Walking Dead or in The Walking Dead, if they've decided that measles, mumps, rubella has somehow mutated as a virus, and it's because there's not enough vaccinations to have kept it in check, and that's how we get the zombie apocalypse, I'm punching out. No, shut up! I'm writing that one. Nobody's nobody's coming back <laughs> around yet. 
You just ruined our meal ticket. God damn it. You spoiled it. Would have been fine, except whooping cough came back and <laughs> they coughed themselves just brain dead and then they wanted brains. The, the whooping dead is not a, good, <laughs> not a good title for a show. But I mean, do we have, I think we can both agree that I, I think we both like the walking dead Still better than Fear the Walking Dead. So far, but they're heading into the Negan arc, and I hate the Negan arc, so... So, yeah, all right, they're they're shooting themselves, uh, they're at least hamstringing themselves a little bit. You know, if if, if Kirkman is true to himself, and again, I know he's he's walked his statements back since the Rolling Stone article, um, but has the balls enough to say to his writers, you know, um, you don't have to do exactly what I've been doing, you can do your own thing. Don't do 18 episodes of Negan. Don't do it. Yeah. uh, Trim that shit. (laughs) <laughs> or if you're gonna do it, have go all the way through point now through all out war by the end of the season. Do it yeah. all in one season and get it out of the way. Yeah. Regardless of that, I think we still enjoyed Fear the Walking Dead season two a hell of a lot more than I was not anticipating liking it at all. Yeah. I was ready to go in there and just uh, oh, this, this is a good excuse. I could just do nothing but Fear the Walking Dead sucks jokes. <laughs> Just tear the Not thing so down. Simple. No, I, and and it was a satisfying, um, it was a satisfying finale for me, or mid season finale. It's back in August. The idea that the family is currently um, fractured, and and Strand is still with them. Uh, Madison and he have gone out of their way to say that they are not friends, although it's to their mutual interest to work together. Right. Um, and one wonders: Does Madison's growth arc? And Victor's include understanding that sometimes um, you find family rather than you have family. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, Travis and Chris are now off seemingly doing their own thing, man and feral boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a disservice to feral kids. I don't want to punch feral kids in the face. It's true, actually. I'd, I'd like feral boy from Mad Max to drop in and kick Chris's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't diss feral kid. <laughs> Road Warrior. I hadn't made that connection. That's what you're going for. <laughs> Don't you dare put that guy on the same level as Feral Kid. Um, and Nick is 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 being left to do his own thing, and and that's okay. They should have done that a long time ago. Let him find his truth or be eaten. <laughs> well, given that uh, that actor was arrested for erratic behavior in public, uh, and I put this on our Facebook page, yeah, adjust your Deadpool bets accordingly, kids. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how long the contracts are on this show, but there's a morals clause in each and every one of them. It's got to be like anything else, though. Like after a certain point, you you get the pink script. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you you get the call to the office. (laughs) Today's the day. (laughs) Get your affairs in order. We'll we'll give you a dead cake. (laughs) And and your pass will stop working at the front gate by 5 p.m. It's a vanilla cake with a raspberry filling. (laughs) Get your shit together. It's a cake. it's a cake nobody wants, but you'll eat it. By God, you'll eat it. But the 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 point being, we enjoyed it. And I yeah, I'm as surprised as anybody that we turned it on. Like I said last night, you literally said, "All right, are we ready to start watching." I'm like, I think I need another beer first. <laughs> and it's I wound up legitimately enjoying it more than I thought. It's not a perfect show, but it was better than I thought it was going to be going into it. Yeah, it, yeah. So it, it was. To, to recap, 
because they built up the arcs of some of the peripheral characters so we didn't have to focus on the family characters who were mostly annoying and continued to be mostly annoying, although Madison is putting her skills as a counselor to work uh, for purposes of evil at the right time, such as when Connor's crew broke on, broke into the boat and tied them up. Oh, that she was... still ha- had her words. So one of the attackers was pregnant. So Madison put the idea in her head that the baby was dead and possibly a zombie in her womb. And ready to <laughs> chew right out of her. Yeah, that was awesome. That was, when was the last time you felt it move? Are you sure? Are you sure? and yeah that that led to the disillusion that allowed uh who is it david to stab uh what was his fucking name again uh reed yeah we called him fat bieber yeah because uh (laughs) somehow in the zombie apocalypse people still have time to have fucking emo hair and (laughs) yeah so fat bieber (laughs) the worst fucking bieber comb over his face and just it's like it was like fucking pacey from Friggin' Dawson's Creek had decided that he needed to have Bieber hair. He was I, bloated. I, he had the shat bloat, and he was only <laughs> 20, which is sad. At one point, you were so angry at him, you, you half stood up off the couch and said, You grok what I'm saying, fat Bieber? I did. <laughs> I did do that. But yeah, it's we generally enjoyed it better than we expected, which leads us to uh, Outcast, which, again... I've not read the comic in particular. It's one of those the, the I read the first couple and the pacing just didn't hook me in, and we were not we were really not going to get the show at all because the comic didn't do anything for me. So, and I hadn't read the comic, uh, and I'm admittedly behind on on stuff that I should be reading. I'm hoping to rectify that this summer. But <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah. <All> right. <laughs> I'll give you the keys to the storage locker. Knock yourself out. Yay. Just put it. Just put it back the way you found it. I spent oh. a lot of time cataloging <laughs> that shit, and I got to do more of that this. Uh, <laughs> I got to do more of that this summer. One of the things that. All right. Do you have any initial impressions of of Outcast? Because there's a, a point I wanted to make. Because it 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 occurred to me. Begin and and again, I don't have a background on the entirety of Outcast. Because again, I've not been writing it. But it occurred to me that in certain ways, Robert Kirkman might be a lot like Alan Moore. Um, And that is not to necessarily put him in the same genius category, but in the sense of how he produces work. Now, why don't you, why don't you start with your point? Cause I, I had some impressions of the comic book, but they aren't necessarily related to, I know what you want to talk about. So do you, do your thing first. Okay. And, <laughs> and again, this may be based on not having read the entirety of Outlook. I could be off base here. Outcast. But Outcast. Sorry. Outlook what? is that shitty Microsoft app. Uh, right. And yeah, I got to go back to work tomorrow. So <laughs> it's going to be in my head. <laughs> but uh, whereas Alan Moore has a reputation of taking existing known works and reconfiguring and deconstructing them. You know, the same way Watchmen... And, and don't worry, we'll talk about Watchmen later. We've been on a roll the last few episodes. Oh, we'll get there. But, <laughs> but the way he uh, deconstructs them, like in Watchmen, it was all the old Charlton characters, but he just did pastiches on them and took them in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, the way he did with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, with old English, in particular, pulp figures. Mm-hmm. Kirkman seems to take existing properties and extend them. Yes. Play them out for what if it just went on and on and on. You know, from Invincible, which was basically, all right, let's sort of match up Spider-Man and Superman and put a quick twist on them and then let that play out forever. It's not quite as 
obvious in that case because it's it's a serialized superhero comic book. Mm-hmm. That's what sort of all of them are. It's like they take this premise and let it go on forever. The yeah. one thing he's doing that hasn't been done, at least since the early days of Marvel, is Mark in Invincible is aging in real time-ish mm-hmm. the way characters did in early Marvel comics, which you don't see anymore. Right. Right. No, and I, I think that's a, a great idea to get back to. <laughs> yeah. Walking Dead is just a George Romero movie that never ends. Yep. And it looks, at least based on the first couple episodes and a reread, again, of just the first issue of Outcast, that Outcast is the exorcist that never ends. Right. So it was just something that occurred to me that he takes things that exist... Uh, Thief of Thieves, a never-ending heist story, which eventually ended. (laughs) Well. (laughs) But it seems he takes, yeah, existing at least premises and saying, what if we played that out for 10 years? Yeah. And generally kind of works. It's kind of, it's it's not a way you can just come in and do your work and get out and everybody says, oh, Watchmen, one of the best novels of the 20th century, but it makes compelling work in its own way. Well, the, the market decides if that's going to work. You know, they th- think his take on the Wolfman died pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, but even that was, uh, it was another superhero story that yeah. took place in the Invincible universe. So, right. Yeah. Uh, look, not every, uh, Swamp Thing doesn't fit into Alan Moore's, oh, I take things and... No. Yeah. That was that was pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah, so it's it's not a perfect comparison, and not everything that anybody does fits within that sort of model. But if you sort of look overall, it's just it's something that occurred to me. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good observation. Um, I think also, you know, with with this story again, we I referenced it earlier. It has a lot on its surface that makes you think, oh, there are some stories out there like this already. There's a, a, a southern gothic piece to it sure. where it's you know okay the 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 seething underbelly of this small town uh, with this pentecostal religion happening and and people think that exorcisms are a thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and so and our our protagonist comes home and holes up in his house for five months because he doesn't want to go out in public and he's got his own baggage based on his previous reputation in town deserved or, or otherwise Yes. Um, so for me, the story worked. I read the first issue. It was a 44-page double issue. I did not find the pacing issues in it that I was worried about per Walking Dead, but I wasn't entirely sure if that was because it was a double issue in which everything was contained. Yeah, and again, I'm not sure. The, the first issue that we read is the one that came packaged with, I think, the last Walking yeah. Dead trade. And I honestly don't remember if that matches up to just the first issue of the comic book. Yeah, I, I, don't, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, considering it was 44 pages, yeah, with the extra real estate, you can get more story. And that alleviates the pacing stuff that Kirkman has apparently been dealing with ever since six months into the TV show on The Walking Dead. Well, that's the funny part. In the, in the interview he makes the comedy, he's like, you know, I I'm, seem to make the transition to TV okay. Like, I, I, I didn't have issues that other people have, have, have had, that I, at least that I've heard about. And I'm like, yeah, but the transition from TV back to comics fucked you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really think working in TV has affected his comics work yeah. and not necessarily in a way that works if you're going to read them on a month-to-month basis. Right. Now he's writing more for the trade rather than for the issue, and 
you know, there's certainly a number of people who do that already in the comics world. Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> yeah, but it seems to, and maybe it's just a case where Kirkman didn't write like that 10, 12 years ago and does now that it's more jarring. Well, you know, back, I suppose you can make the argument when you're self-published and you don't know if if the next issue is, is ever going to come out because you're just trying to get from issue to issue because it's it's not really paying the bills and you're doing these other things. You're trying to get as much story into one issue as you can to to get people to come back. Yeah, sure. It, it could be as simple as, you know, yeah, once you're the top dog, you, you don't need to try as hard. And try as hard in the sense of, yeah, I better deliver this story in this particular time frame because I don't know if I'm going to get to finish it otherwise. Right. Because, yeah, the early days of The Walking Dead, you know, Kirkman was saying, you know, oh, Jesus, God willing, if this catches on, I think I got 75 or 80 issues in I, Yeah, and then that was at that panel. <laughs> he said yeah. that. <laughs> and now we're at, what, 130-something, yep. 138, I think. Yeah, uh, so we're past 75. Yeah, and he still says, oh, I know how it ends. It's just a question of oh, when, when I get it to ends. It. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> as long as it stays it, on the top of the trade charts. It won't end as long as the market will bear. <laughs> yeah. It's, or if he gets sick of it, I suppose, whichever. It, it's When it actually comes to an end, I'll have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Be, yep, okay. You found ways to stretch in the middle and maybe had additional ideas as it went along, and certainly people are allowed to do that. Certainly. But if it comes to an actual end particularly if it's I'm still kind of on top and I said no we're at the natural end of this I'll I'll have a lot of respect for that yeah absolutely so with regards to to outcast I think um what worked for me was taking it out of um this is a southern gothic story there's in any small town <laughs> Yeah, and you grew up in a small town in central I Massachusetts. Sure did. Whereas I, I did not. <laughs> I grew up in a small town, um, and and I think as you know, when they talk about outcast, you know that it's a loaded word. Yeah, um, you talk about this person didn't fit into their their community for whatever reason. Um, growing up in a small town, you, you can feel that way, regardless of whether you're in an in crowd or not. I certainly was not. <laughs> Oh dear. Decidedly was not. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Go on. Oh, I mean, all right. Aside, um, I somewhat drunkenly uh, went Facebook stalking a few months ago and discovered that there was a Facebook page that had been set up a couple of years back for my high school's 25th reunion. And I didn't go to that. I don't recall getting invited to it. I may have and just thrown away the invite because that's what I do. Um, but there was this whole thread of posts where people were like, all right, so we found so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and Amanda. Uh, no, we didn't find Amanda. No, it, does anybody know where Amanda is? And I'm like, wow, you guys care? Um, but th- then somebody's like, oh, well, um, her sister, I think her sister works at the high school. Maybe we can just talk to her. Like, no, my sister doesn't fucking work at the high school. My sister escaped the state before I did. Jesus Christ. I am well and truly off the goddamn grid. But then there's other people in the thread going, oh, I'm so looking forward to going. I'm like, really? They treated you worse than they treated me. Do you have fucking <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome? Bitch! Like... <laughs> So, but it was just this like weird Schadenfreude kind of thing reading through the the post um, because I am very much in the camp of um, I know I can't go home again and I don't wanna. <laughs> <laughs> so when I read these stories about people coming home, 
Yes. I, I always have this sort of, like, whenever, like, the shit happens, I, I want, you're doing it to yourself. There is, there is a bus. There is, there are apps. You can get a thing called Uber. You, you can leave. <laughs> you don't have to go home. <laughs> you know, if, if the ghost finds you in your house and shit starts again, you did this to yourself. You could be in New York. Like, <laughs> you could have been somebody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the childhood <laughs> stories because they're just so full of pathos. And <laughs> so as I'm reading the story, <laughs> um, I I I liked it on its surface because all right, so here's the misfit trying to to figure out shit now that he's come home, um, or is is at home. Uh, he a number of years ago, uh. His mom apparently was possessed or or seemingly was possessed to everybody else in the community. It looked like his mom was abusing him, and then she went away. Yes. Um, and then everybody felt bad for him. <laughs> yeah. And then he met a girl, and, and they got married, and they had a kid, and seemingly um, was arrested for abusing his wife and child because reasons. Um, but it turns out that whatever had been in his perception, uh, possessing his mother had come to roost in his now wife. Right. And it was causing her to enact the same cycle of abuse on their daughter. Yeah. And, uh, I did think it was interesting. I'm not sure if, Potentially problematic is a way to put it, but that at least in he these... beats up at least two kids in this book, and not in that like satisfying Travis kicks the shit out of Chris way. Like, yeah. oh no, it was satisfying. <laughs> it, it was satisfying to me. But Kirkman, why are you beating up kids in your books? What's going on, man? You, do you want to talk? You... I'm a nasty piece of work. <laughs> Ask anybody. But, uh, no, what I, what I think was potentially. Potentially problematic, at least interesting, was the idea that this kind of horrific domestic abuse was, at this point in the show, consistently only caused by demonic possession. Yes. And they're being very explicit that it's demonic possession and not something where you could make the argument that, oh, no, maybe these guys are assholes and shouldn't be around other human beings. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, look, it's it's totally explicit. Uh, these people vomit black demons. <laughs> they do. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> and it's it, it, look. <laughs> so your mom puked on you. Big fucking deal. <laughs> if I had a kid, that would not be a story of demonic possession. <laughs> Reason one hundred and twenty-seven why Amanda doesn't go home again. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would, <laughs> that'd be a story of a Saturday night. <laughs> But I, I just thought it was interesting that, and make no mistake, these kinds of domestic abuse happen every day in every town in America. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, kids punched out and thrown into pantries and almost choked out by their parents and shaken baby syndrome. And I just I found it interesting that at least within the confines of this story. It's oh no, that's because of a demon, and, and which seems to be a very bright view of humanity from the creator of The Walking <laughs> Dead. 
Well, he says in his interview that he tries not to be a glass half empty guy. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, and I would say that the, the TV show, even more so than the comic, uh, goes out of its way to be explicit about um, the idea of demons and that people in the community are accepting of the idea of exorcism and and all of that. Because in the book, it feels very much like it... it most of the community is viewing uh, the protagonist askance. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, his name is. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I have trouble believing, and although I shouldn't, the world's a fucked up place. I have trouble believing there are places in America where it's just like, oh, there's a demon. Oh, we- wait. No, wait. I can tell this story. <laughs> in small town, Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, wait. Hold on. <laughs> Go on. I, uh, I had a friend in high school, and uh, when, when she and I were seniors in high school, uh, she made the courageous decision to date a freshman because uh, low self-esteem, I guess. Uh, but the, anyway, the, the boy she was dating was, uh, his mom was very heavy into the community. We had at least four churches in our town that I'm aware of. <laughs> the two Catholic churches were literally right next door to each other. The middle school that I attended had formerly been the parochial school for one of those churches. Okay. Um, and so at some point, and this kid, as far as I could tell, was a complete milk toast. Like he was like the one boy on like like the flag team on the marching band. <laughs> so he was Screech. Uh, chubby. Chubby Screech. Chubby Screech. <laughs> Fat Bieber. <laughs> Um, so one day he disappeared from school for like two weeks and nobody knew where he was. And I, I, I to prove that this kid existed, I, I pointed him out to you in my yearbook earlier today. <laughs> you did. You did. And uh, he he came back and he, he was a changed man. He was he was that much more milquetoast. Um, and there was something wrong and broken in it. The rumor got around town, and we're all 90% sure that this is true because it was before the internet. Um, <laughs> okay. Was that his mom had had him exercised because he did? she didn't like the fact that he had started dating a girl and was, was now beginning to um, entertain thoughts and ideas from women other than his mom. The socks were coming back crusty in the laundry is what you're saying? <laughs> Perhaps. So, yeah, in, in small-town America in the late 80s, exorcism north of the Mason-Dixon line was a thing. It <laughs> happened. It happened to this kid. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would sort of... And he went to high school reunion. I, Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> I, I would uh, beware of... <laughs> trucking in uh, how much of the rumors that go around in high school are fact. Nah, this happened. I'm, I'm, I believe this happened. Okay. <laughs> he was a broken man. That's because there's not a junior high school in America where there's not that one kid who fucked that cat one time. <laughs> it's in every junior high school in oh, America. Christ, if he had fucked the cat, I would have understood the exorcism. <laughs> I mean, my friend was kind of a catty bitch, but damn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Damn. Uh, all right. I, I guess, okay. <laughs> there are places in America where, yeah, okay, the kids, uh, uppity, chuck holy water in his eyes, <laughs> see what happens. There there are plenty, without even getting into exorcism, there are plenty of places in the United States where it's perfectly acceptable for parents to cart their children off to some sort of religious re-education camp where they're then indefinitely boarded. <laughs> 
until um, until they are broken of spirit and then sent home to, to re-enter society. Yes, this it, is a fact. And then they get home and they say, You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess that shit exists. Yeah. But getting back into the book. <laughs> yes, go on. Getting back into the book. So here's, here's this, um, or, or the show even. I, I thought um, the book itself... Because again, double uh, double size issue, at least in the reprint. Right. Um, I thought it was a well self contained story that was a good kickoff to now. I kind of want to track down the the trades because there's a few trades out already. Yeah, I think it's out to at least three, maybe four at yeah. this point. Just to see if the pacing holds, to see if the story holds. Um, but on the show itself, in terms of what they've drawn from it, it's. I thought the choice of going with Patrick Fugit <laughs> as the the protagonist. Right. Was really kind of a cool choice because he more or less disappeared after Almost Famous. Like he broke huge. And then you can believe, yeah, you went home to your small town and now you're deeply broken. And <laughs> Actually, I hadn't really thought about that. but <laughs> like You fell off the map and I'm so sorry, man, but I'm glad you're working. <laughs> yeah. And he's really solid in the role. Yeah. Although one of my notes here is look at Patrick Fugic moment around like he never got a hand job off Kate Hudson during <laughs> Almost Famous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can't come back from that. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, I don't know. Chris Robinson from the Black Crows seems to be doing all right. But and now she's selling exercise wear. So really, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, there are no winners in this story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that's a casting choice that, that didn't really occur to me, but it kind of makes sense. But yeah, he's he's solid in the role. He's definitely not a fucking enthusiastic child anymore. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at him in Almost Famous and then in this, and it's a, no, this is a guy who's seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Kate Hudson, giving her an angry hand job. <laughs> I don't know, but... Just uh, looking at some of my notes here, just going straight to the joke. So one of the things that stuck out in me was... In the first episode where he wakes up in his bedroom, he's got a Rob Liefeld Youngblood poster on the wall. It really is a horror show. Yeah, Amanda yelled out, this is a horror movie. Holy shit. <laughs> but yeah, having read that first issue, at least the one packaged with the uh, the comic, uh, and Kirkman wrote that first uh, episode, rather. Yep. And I keep mixing up episode and issues. It really is almost panel for panel with the comic book. So yes. if you enjoyed that first issue, uh, yeah, it's... Although there's some stuff that they deviate into, which may come from other issues. There's a, a neighbor character that I didn't recognize from issue one. and Yeah, that's true. I didn't, I didn't recognize him. There's some extended stuff with, um, and the, I might be mixing up episodes because we watched the first two today, um, with the sheriff and with uh, Kyle's brother-in-law where they traipse off into the woods. Yeah, I don't remember that. But. Yeah. So, but there are, at least in the first episode, yeah, a lot of shot for shot bits yeah so so if you've read that first issue it's not uh utterly crucial except for the better special effects that yeah. you get with <laughs> with motion capture i thought uh, they did a nice job casting the kid because and it might just be the way that the artwork worked out in issue one that the kid in the comic seemed like he might have been 12-ish 12, 13. Yeah, see, I, did, I didn't get a seven or eight. I didn't get an older kid in the comic book when I viewed it. But but in the, in the, uh, the, the show, the kid is clearly like, you know, maybe eight. <laughs> yeah, and, and knocking out a flat-out eight-year-old. <laughs> well, and brave, too, because the kid does some stuff that's like just violent. Like, it cracks his head into the wall until it bleeds. Like, 
Yeah. On his own before like Kyle even enters the picture. <laughs> yeah, other than that, that that wasn't in the comic book. One thing that I got from the show that I didn't get in the comic book, again, just having recently reread the first one, was the sense that the demon was pulling something, the soul or whatever. Mm. I got of, I got that sense. Yeah, I didn't get that in the comic. I thought he was puking in, in Kyle's mouth. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, one of my notes here is, uh, and it's one of those things that requires motion to be really horrific, but when the kid was on the bed all twisted with everything dislocated mm-hmm. and just clearly completely twisted out very of shape. Very Linda Blair. Yeah, I wrote down mutant twisted kid. He's going to make some pervert very, very happy someday. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and outcast. You'll come for the soup puking. You'll stay for the kid punching. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> But yeah, it's, I was actually impressed by the TV show that they kept those elements of, uh, yeah, it's... Well, it helps, I think, that they're on cable rather than network or yeah, even AMC. And, and full-on paid cable. Yeah. So yeah, it was very much a case of it, it's kind of a brave choice to go along with a comic with this grown man knocking out an eight-year-old. Yeah, because even in terms of sensibilities, if you think about um, the thing that like sucked you in so hard in season one of Walking Dead, um, episode one, is is watching that girl get killed by Rick because she's a zombie. Yeah, it's a, the first thing you see is a policeman shooting a child. That's like, and then, you have my attention. And then in season two of Fear the Walking Dead, there are at least two moments where um, a child could be killed in front of you, and they cut away. Yeah, and and I get why they do it. That's yeah, but I mean, so even even within AMC, the suits have started to give notes on softening certain moments, or they've made that decision in the writers' room. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things. It, if you're trying to get eyes in, you can be bold. If you're trying to keep eyes in, now you suddenly maybe are not as bold as you used to be. Yeah, so. Going on to paid premium cable, yeah, they zero fucks. <laughs> they, yeah. they can they can uh, do whatever punches they they want to throw. Yeah, and it's it's working out. It's again, I went from I was not even going to watch the show. Not even be here today. <laughs> Don't even start. <laughs> not even supposed to be here today. I've got the shit. <laughs> got it on demand. But yeah, I wasn't even gonna watch it, and we grabbed the first couple, and yeah, now it's got a one pass on the TiVo. It was yeah, it was solid enough, and yeah, it it made me want to go get the trades, and maybe that's the the final verdict on Kirkman is yeah, he still got his shit, but he maybe doesn't have it for individual issues anymore. Maybe that's just not the way to read his stuff. Maybe, maybe not, and that's okay. I think you can evolve as a writer. I I guess I just had so much invested in Walking Dead issue to issue that when it went sideways for me because of the pacing and because of the continued reliance on characters who are actively unlikable. <laughs> yep. And and the characters that you had grown to love just not getting the upper hand and not being able to escape it. Not, you, know, you get worn down as a fan and you start seeing it as something that stresses you out rather than providing you a means of escapist like fantasy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you sit down with it. And, and it colors your view of the writer's other works. Yeah, and you're 22 pages in and not a lot's happened and it's still just a bummer and the Walking Dead trades still work for me. Yeah. And uh, look, I still read The Walking Dead every month and I put it down and move on to another <laughs> book. 
But yeah, when the trades come in, I do find it much more satisfying to read in big chunks. And there's nothing wrong with writing that way. It just means that you have to be cognizant of it's not going to be satisfying for me unless I have the big chunks. It makes me wonder, though, if we had watched Fear the Walking Dead episode to episode rather than binging it, if we might have had a slightly different view because we got the payoff fairly quickly. Yeah, and that's very possible. And it really hadn't occurred to me. But yeah, we watched the first episode and it was like, eh, and then we just left it. Right. Whereas, yeah, doing it back to back to back to back was very engrossing. It it took a couple episodes to really hook in, but by the time it did, I'm glad we did it. And again, I'm as surprised as anybody (laughs) when you pose the question, you know, has Kirkman lost his edge, lost his shit? Has he peaked or cynical bastards? Yeah, it's... I think the answer is definitely he has not. And we're cynical bastards. We are cynical <laughs> bastards, but maybe we've learned his stuff needs to be consumed in a particular way. With a pint of haagen and some time cleared from your schedule. And a gallon of whiskey. A gallon of whiskey. A gallon of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, both uh, both the things that we consumed over this weekend really worked, but we got them in big chunks. Yeah. And maybe that makes the difference. Yeah, I'm going to start getting the outcast trades and see if there's more there than I thought there was when I just did a couple issues and I was like, eh. Yeah, that might be the difference. Yeah, and again, I'm surprised. I've had a great time the last three weeks bitching and complaining about Watchmen. <laughs> I was anticipating, hey, more bitching and complaining. That's good radio. No, this was actually good stuff, but we consumed it in a particular way. Yeah. And maybe that's the answer. And in this day and age where binging is an easy-to-do thing, I wonder if more writers are beginning to look at how they're writing for the chunk rather than episode to episode. But even that's dangerous. Kirkman can do it. He's made his name. Yeah. Not everybody can. And if you're going to reach the level of, oh, yeah, I can write for the trade, you have to have had a stretch where you wrote for the issue because if the issues don't sell... If the episodes don't hook, then your project goes down. I I don't disagree, but I'm you know we're we're at a stage now where things are being released like as a whole season now to alternate media outlets, Netflix, Hulu, sure, Amazon. Um, so people are writing with an eye towards the season rather than necessarily the episode, and for for good or for ill. Yeah. And maybe that would be the best way for Kirkman to distribute. Perhaps. Otherwise, it's the 21st century. (laughs) We have an honest-to-God TiVo in this house. No matter where you are, you probably got some kind of DVR. Maybe get three, four episodes in a row and burn them off all in one one evening. Kind of feeling like I should have done that with Penny Dreadful this season. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Maybe. But we should probably move on if we want a chance of watching that tonight. (laughs) Good point. Uh, you want to talk about a few comics? Yes, let's do that. Okay. What, what do you want to start with? Uh, you, you go with your notes. All right. Got Wonder Woman Rebirth number one. Okay. We're not going to do all the Rebirth stuff, although there were... Uh, and I'll go back. 
you know you want to. Yeah, last week we did Rebirth, uh, every single one of them. We're not going to do that this week, even though unlike last week, there was at least one honest-to-God uh, Watchmen sighting of the comedian pin in Flash Rebirth, which we're going to talk about. Yes. And a couple <laughs> of issues had... Mr. Oz sightings, uh, which showed him in front of a big bank of monitors, just like Ozymandias, and one of them had a silhouette of a large cat uh, who obviously uh, was at least meant to remind us of Bobastis, so we've had Watchmen sightings this week. And uh, the reason I bring it up is... Uh, and I posted it on Facebook this week. Uh, actually, last week at the comic store, they had an old Mayfair Games Watchmen mm-hmm. uh, module and it, if you're not aware of it, Mayfair Games did a DC Heroes role-playing game back in the late 80s. And I used to play it with my brother in high school. And it was unique in the sense that it understood people don't want to role-play as this hero I created in the DC universe. It's like, no, you want to be fucking Batman. Yeah. So it would give you pre-rolled characters of, fine, here's Batman. And you, you could then go in and fuck with them. <laughs> So it, yeah, it's why a, you be fucking with the Batman? Well, no, it's a, because he didn't have enough space for shit. It's a, he only had the utility belt. So yeah, I was creating Batman with like five pouches long before Rob Liefeld was doing it. <laughs> just so just so he'd have room for like more nerve gas and batarangs. Oh, oh, okay. Not, so yeah, not just some deep abiding love for pouches. No, it's it, I had particular. Did your Batman have feet? Uh, he did have feet, I think. I didn't really care that much unless he could carry <laughs> shit in his feet. So yeah, me and my brother were making Image characters when Image wasn't even a glint in Todd McFarlane's greedy little fucking beady eyes. <laughs> okay. But uh, they, they also had a couple of uh, Watchmen modules, which I had, but they also had a, a source book for Watchmen, which was you know, all this background material on particularly the Minutemen. It filled in a lot of the character traits for... Um, Mothman and Captain Metropolis and people who were just sort of glossed over. Um, and a lot of the stuff in that book, it was written by a guy named Ray Winninger, but he worked pretty directly with Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons to the point where Gibbons contributed covers and interior art for him. And this was before Alan Moore rage quit DC. <laughs> so yeah, he contributed a lot to it. So it's not, it may not be canon, but it's, pretty fucking close yeah to the point where in watching the watchmen the big book that dave gibbons put out of like a bunch of art and everything uh for watchmen when the movie came out uh he specifically said it was these things were written with extensive input from alan and illuminated some previously obscure corners of the watchmen universe that's a quote okay so if it's not canon, it's as close as you're going to get. All right. And when I got the module and I said, shit, I wish I still had the source book, you, Amanda, went online and on Friday, like, here you go, <laughs> found it online somewhere. Because I am a good girlfriend. You goddamn right you are. <laughs> and yeah, it's got all this background information that is as close to canon as you're going to get, like the Keen Act. Mm-hmm. The Keen Act is the thing that outlawed costume adventurers. Yeah. This has the text of the Keen oh, Act. Oh, shit. <laughs> So the way it actually worked was it made investigating or preventing a crime by anyone who isn't law enforcement a felony. And it also, and this is what I thought was cool, it made anyone making a citizen's arrest who didn't provide their full name and address, that was a felony. Huh. So I was like, okay, I, I get how that works. But yeah, you just oh, the Keen Act, it's it just kind of cool Act. to see it. <laughs> it's got the comedians and Rorschach's fucking medical records. Shit. <laughs> And yeah, huge amounts of material on like all these minor Minutemen. And like with Captain Metropolis, it's all this stuff like letters from school and his school transcripts. And he was like a giant loser. (laughs) 
who was just this asthmatic kid. He enlisted in World War II to be a hero, and he got posted to the fucking post office duty. <laughs> he tried to play college football. He dropped the only pass that was ever thrown to him in the big championship game. So he fucked up his, his alma mater. Dr. Manhattan went to Chesterfield College in Chesterfield, Michigan. Did you know that? I did not know that. There you go. He winds up getting his ass kicked by Mothman for making a racial slur. All this stuff you've never heard of. Wow. And if you want additional Watchmen shit, you don't need Rebirth. You could go get this thing. It's like, I checked Amazon. You can get them for like 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And it was contributed by Alan Moore. If you need more Watchmen, don't go to Rebirth. So let's talk about Wonder Woman Rebirth. <laughs> Let's talk about Wonder Woman Rebirth. This is actually the one that doesn't have any Watchmen shit in it. This was probably my favorite book this week. Uh, this one was uh, solid. Written by Greg Rucka, art by Matthew Clark, Liam Sharp, and Sean Parsons. Mm-hmm. What was your impression of it? A sigh of relief because it felt as though Rucka was going out of his way to reset previous storylines for Diana. I, I think I felt like the only person in the world who really was underwhelmed and at times actively angry at Brian Azzarello's run. Um, I didn't like how he messed with her, her backstory. I didn't like the fact that they were taking away the idea that she was made from clay and that now they're making her to be this war, the war God taking the place of Ares. I, I didn't see where they needed to give her a flesh and not flesh and blood, but a, a father, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it didn't work for either one of us. And in its own way, it should have worked for me because it was really, looking back on it, Azzarello... It was a crime story. It was a kidnapping story. It, yeah, it was, it was a mob story yeah. kind of uh, with all these Greek myth overtones. But that's all Azzarello can write is freaking crime stories. And that's fine if I want to read a crime story and fuck with my capes. <laughs> But yeah, it's it really does kind of match with the Godfather. You got Diana; she's the the black sheep child of Zeus, yeah. you know, the Don. <laughs> she doesn't want any part of the family business because she understands what mercy and compassion is. Winds up whacking Ares, takes over the crew, and you know, yeah, Azarello does a good crime comic. But the other the problem I had was he wraps all this shit up in Greek myth, and I don't care about Greek myth. And you know what? Neither does anybody else. <laughs> If Generation X gave a shit about Greek myth, those three kids from Mississippi would have pissed away their childhood filming themselves themselves as Harry Hamlin as opposed to learning how to crack a whip. To be fair, a good chunk of Gen X geeks did give a shit about Greek myth. That's why Hercules and Xena were so popular. Yeah, that wasn't about Greek myths. That was (laughs) about uh, TNA and Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and (laughs) just some funny syndicated... (laughs) <laughs> it's got nothing to do with Greek I'm myth. Sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's that didn't that storyline didn't click with me either. You know, when it when it comes to Wonder Woman, uh, I mean, if you think about the Trinity, yep. and how they're dealing with, you know, the DC Trinity, how they're dealing mm-hmm. with uh, the changes that they want to make uh, for rebirth. With Superman, they're kind of doing it the easy way. Yeah, it's like, you know, okay. Uh, number one, you really got to work hard to fuck up Superman. And apparently, they worked hard. Yeah, yeah they, they worked overtime. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, what, uh, days without sleep? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's he's a blogger in a t-shirt, and he's uh, not with Lois Lane, and he's, uh, yeah, he he's invulnerable, but he requires armor with a mock turtleneck. So it's just like, all right, fuck it, you know what? Superman, we're... are you wearing a dickie? <laughs> <laughs> It's like Kent in Real Genius. Is that a dicky? <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, so they just decided, uh, all right, the easiest way to do this is just uh, kill that prick and bring back the one that works. You know, okay, next. Now, with Batman, they didn't really have to do anything because Batman remained a hit through the new 52. So why really do anything with it? So yeah, his rebirth is just, uh, all right, I'm going to have a new Robin who's named Lark, but otherwise we're just going business as usual, even though it was the first Batman title after DC Universe Rebirth 1 where he found the comedian pin and it took... Flash Rebirth number one before we see Batman even deal with that at all. Yeah, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so the only one that doesn't have sort of a clear path of, fine, we're just going to do this, is Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman has been fucked with so often oh. over the years. It, it makes sense for her to be the one to really directly address, this isn't right, and my story, and that's how she keeps referring to it in the book, it's mm-hmm. clearly Rucka saying... It's not that it's the story is fucked up. It's kind of breaking the fourth wall. And, and in a way that works for me, like it directs it to the audience. I recognize, hi, I am Wonder Woman. And I recognize that, that things have gone off the rails within my own story. Let's work together to solve the mystery of my story. But then they're doing it cleverly in terms of they're going to pursue the two storylines. So there's going to be the next issues. There's, there's going to be one called lies. And then there's going to be this other one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so it's Where they try of, to tease it out. Yeah, so it, it sort of applies to both of them, but sort of the conceit that he used about the truth and the truth matters, the yes. truth of Wonder Woman, who having been screwed with so often, I mean, it seems like every dude who takes over Wonder Woman, and it's always a dude who takes over no, Wonder well, Woman. I think Jody Picoult was on it for a while, um, and... I feel like Gail Simone also took a stab at it. Yeah, and I think Marguerite Bennett was originally going to take this over uh, uh, before Rucka came on board. I don't remember hearing that. And I don't remember where I heard that. So I, could... I think she's busy getting ready to fuck up Josie and the Pussycats or something. Uh, well, <laughs> that's always a possibility. But, but uh, yeah, it's having the truth matter, particularly with the lasso of truth, it's interesting in the way he wrote it when she puts the lasso on herself. The things that she says are true of no matter what the characterizations are. You're the daughter of Hippolyta. You're a peacemaker and a warrior. So all the key character points that have mattered throughout history are still true, and we still know that. But then the have you been you have been deceived. Hmm. So it's yeah, Rucka clearly acknowledging somewhere along the line something has kind of gone wrong. She's had too many people with too many different visions fucking with her. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it happens no matter who it... Even before Flashpoint, J. Michael Straczynski got huge press just throwing a jacket on her. Yeah. And like saying, <laughs> okay, we're taking the gods and Thymascara completely out of her origin. And well, pants. She gets to wear pants. Yeah, so... And that's fun. So she's got superpowers and she thinks she's just a regular person and she's learning how to use her superpowers. And that's a great origin, for fucking Superman. <laughs> That's Superman. It is. It is. It's, you don't need to do that with Wonder Woman. This is, this is the same guy. He got huge press for doing this at the same time he had Superman walk across America and threaten to beat up abusive parents and shit, which he shouldn't have done because clearly they were possessed by demons. <laughs> so, And we know that Superman doesn't do well with magic. I mean, if there's anything established in Superman's world. <laughs> exactly. Just keep can't him, fight magic. Keep him right out of that. Have him, fuck, have him walk across America to kick Brainiac in the crotch. Whatever. <laughs> But yeah, Rucka has Diana throw away her New 52 costume, which is another very symbolic yep. act of putting the whole New 52 thing behind her. Of course, he does it putting her in yet another new fucking costume. 
Yeah, but I th- all right, let me see if I can find it. I felt like that costume at least had some nods to some other classic costumes. It, oh, it, it reminded it, me somewhat of Hippolyta's costume in Justice Society, actually. It, it absolutely did. It's a sort of the armored-ish skirt from like early Wonder Woman and yeah. replaced all the silver stuff with gold stuff. So it definitely was reminiscent of earlier costumes. Yeah, no, it feels very Justice Society. It looks a lot like what Hippolyta wears in Justice Society, if I'm, under, if I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this. It's not perfect. No. It's the big splash page of No Wonder My Story Keeps Changing, where she punches the mirror. That kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. You know, it's like an excuse to give the artist an excuse to draw a bunch of iconic Wonder Woman shots from over the years. Yeah. Uh, The the book had too many artists. Yet another sign that all these Rebirth books, except for DC Universe Rebirth, and even that, there's one moment when we talk about Flash Rebirth in a minute. It feels like they're rushed and there's not enough real estate to really get this stuff done. It really feels like editorial said, okay, you got to do it and you got to do it by now and no matter what it takes. Yeah. And by the way, these books are going bi-weekly, so chop chop, people. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is the one Rebirth book that really has a well-known A-list writer on it. Yeah. And have that come quick and need a couple artists just to get it done. Yeah, that kind of pace is going to cause problems. You're not going to get your best work out of almost anybody. Well, how much story can you tell if you're that pressed for time? I mean, this gets into the heart of what we were talking about with Kirkman's work <laughs> Yeah, earlier in the show is, you know, how do you, how do you pace yourself to tell a story so that the issue itself is satisfying? Right. And, and what constraints or lack of constraints need to be present in order to do that effectively. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and these, all of these rebirth books, some more than others, are, are clearly showing that kind of issue. Yeah. Look, Rucka's making a bold statement here. You know, he's saying a lot of people fucked Wonder Woman up, and I'm going <laughs> to fix it. Yes. Yeah. So it's one of the most exciting rebirth books so far. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm down for this. Yeah. <laughs> That said, if we find out the person who deceived Wonder Woman was fucking Dr. Manhattan, I'm going to set shit on fire. I'm going to punch a mirror. (laughs) All right. Want to move on to the next book? Let's. Okay. Flash Rebirth, number one, uh, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Carmine, uh, Jesus, Carmine DiGiacomencio. Everybody be. Wrong button. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Jesus. Everybody be cool works too. Carmine DiGiacomencio. Oh, Carmine. Carmine did the art. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, like uh, like I said, we didn't get any Watchmen in Wonder Woman Rebirth. Uh, John Doe Namiko. Okay. Yeah, you've got better language skills than I do. <laughs> I, I'm only good at the profanity and shit. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, no Watchmen sightings in Wonder Woman. The one absolutely confirmed Watchmen sighting is in this book. Uh, we have uh, the long, hard look at the comedian's pin. And at the very least in this, we get an explanation as to how it got into the Batcave, mm. which has always just sort of been uh, for, oh, it's there for reasons. Yeah, right. So, uh, spoilers, obviously. Uh, it was left in the wake of Wally attempting to appear to Batman. Yes, and I'm really wondering if somebody in DC editorial didn't realize that, yeah, there was no fucking reason for the pin to be in the Batcave. 
in Rebirth number one. It's like somebody said, Johns, you can have these ideas, but there's going to be some sort of reasons. Yeah, for God's sake. So somebody said, all right, just plug it into a Williamson, get it in. You're going to press next. Get like, in there real quick. Batcave, comedian pin, question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, look, I'm glad the explanation is there, and I'm glad that Batman is finally investigating this, because let's face it, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman should be investigating this mystery of what happened to the DC universe. It does seem weird that it happened here mm. and not in Batman. I mean, <laughs> uh, look, we we bat, there was an intruder in the Batcave in DC Universe Rebirth number one who implied that Batman's memory has been fucked with, mm. which is an act that drove him to attack his own teammates in Identity Crisis. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in his own title, he's too busy, you know, demonstrating his willpower underwater to to Duke Thomas. And doing (laughs) one-armed chin-ups off of his Wayne Tower. Yeah, uh, (laughs) then to investigate this speed force incursion (laughs) into fucking Batcave. Well, there's some interesting things that they bring up here, and I'm not sure that they've been touched upon explicitly elsewhere, is uh, one, apparently... Uh, Argus Star, which is like a relatively new fucking thing, but Argus Star Labs and the Justice League all have a mutual treaty that nobody will do experiments on or investigate the Speed Force. Yeah, I don't think I remember reading that anywhere ever before this. Yeah, um, and two, Batman and Barry get along better than you'd think they ought to, particularly if if you grew up um, in Justice League Unlimited or Justice League in general, the animated series, was your thing. Um, get yeah. A, get along better than you'd think they would because they have a mutual respect for each other as crime scene investigators. Yeah, I, I thought it was a nice moment in this book that does have a few problems. Yeah. It's got more than a few problems. Although, but... I, although Justice League Unlimited was Wally, I think. Oh, it definitely yeah, was. Yeah, which is different. So, but... uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's the idea that Barry sees Batman as a scientist, which makes a lot of sense because that's most of what Batman does. Oh, oh, I'll scrape the mud off of the ground and bring it back to the bat computer. And no, oh, that's where <laughs> that's where. Uh, and by binary magic, I will determine. <laughs> that's where King Tut is. I'll bring my shark repellent or whatever <laughs> comes from. The, uh, I've had a few beers. I feel. <laughs> Steel Rail Parallel, everybody. <laughs> but no, it was a nice, uh, yeah, it's, that makes sense. And yeah, the idea of Batman and Barry, at least on that sense, seeing themselves as peers. Because it also could indicate a course for the Flash under Williamson that we haven't really seen a lot of. It's like, yeah, his day job is crime scene investigator. That doesn't come up very often in his run around a fire real fast to make it blow out. Right normal power set right so they they go out of their way to say all right so when he's running it's not just about solving crimes he's thinking and and as someone who flirted briefly with exercise um (laughs) when was this i I, just just don't don't poke holes in the plot okay um it's true if you actually if you're into running or or endurance exercise yeah you get into a zone and and the muscle memory does take over and it frees you up to think and you can get a lot of good thinking done (laughs) Yeah, that's what I do when I'm drinking. <laughs> but no, I so I, I, I felt I found that piece believable, so I'm gonna be curious to see if they use that for any purpose in this or just bring it up as a talking point in this issue. Yeah, if if it's leading towards something, I thought it was cool. And it, it yeah. at least felt like a little tease, so I would like to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um 
Yeah, I mean there there are some solid moments in this book. You know, it, it advances the the payoff of what happened in Rebirth by kind of extending Wally's tragedy in that yeah, he went to find Linda and she didn't remember him and he can't face seeing his aunt Iris aunt, yeah. and having her not remember him. Um, of course, then we follow that moment immediately by Wally somehow getting the sense that the events of Titan's hunt has already happened. So there's already been a class reunion. Don't which, go man, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, well, it, it didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> it pulled me right out of the fucking book. But uh, having Wally remind Barry about some of his powers, like... I have he, to go. My Titan sense is tingling. No, that's that's <laughs> never been a thing. <laughs> My Titan sense is tingling. Who is it? It's fucking Jericho. God damn it! <laughs> But uh, no, when uh, Wally reminds Barry, you can create your own costume out of the Speed Force, which he has never remembered since the New 52. That's right. Of course, uh, then he doesn't do anything to do with it. <laughs> and yeah, they've got a tease of the cover of Flash 1. It looks like he's still going to have those seams like filled with shit from an old plasma TV glowing out of him. But I, it would have been nice to see. Let's go a little more back to basics, like Wonder Woman's at least trying to do. Yeah. But uh Having Wally be so genuinely touched to hear a flash fact from Barry for the first time in God knows how long. That was cool. It was. Um, and it showed, this is this was good balance of sensitivity towards um, what fans were missing. Yeah. With, rather than what we saw last week with some of the books. We're like, let's just get right back to it. Let's let's reset. Give, them everybody, give everybody what they want so we can move on to the next issue. <laughs> yeah. And having Barry say, you know, you're going to need a new costume because you're not Kid Flash. You're a Flash. Yeah. Which uh, was a nice fan nod, although, again, the Kid Flash costume is, I think, the best thing Carmine Infantino ever did. And if Flash started wearing that again, I'd be absolutely fine with it. Yeah. But, and what could really be an interesting piece of foreshadowing, you know, at the very end of the book, there's this Flash like figure blurring in and out at the crime scene as one of the cops says, Barry Allen's got too much shit going on, and sometimes he makes mistakes. Okay, that's intriguing. That's mm. one of the more intriguing endings of a Rebirth episode so far, yep. a Rebirth issue so far. I've got TV and comics stuck it's, in my head. It's okay, honey. <laughs> but, I mean, with that said, some of the writing was kind of expository and clunky. As as we've seen for many of these Rebirth 1 issues. Yeah, and this is yet another one where we've got two pages of real estate that recount Barry's origin story that somehow they managed to recount in 15 seconds every week on a highly rated television show. <laughs> we don't necessarily need to know Barry's origin again. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there were, yeah, two and a half pages that retelled what happened in DC Universe Rebirth. So fully a quarter of this book is shit we already know. Yeah. yeah but even on top of that, <laughs> there's this one scene where Williamson has Barry's dad saying expository shit like, oh, I'm just a doctor who lost his license a long time ago. And nobody would say that. <laughs> but he also has Barry's father say, hey, you caught your mother's killer and prove my innocence. More expository dialogue, double expository considering Barry himself said the same thing in his origin flashback the previous page. Not even where you have to flip back. It's on the opposite fucking page. Who's editing this book? Uh, nobody, Brian, I'm guessing. Brian Cunningham, what does an editor do? <laughs> On this kind of schedule, the best he can. Mm. That's uh, that's the only explanation <laughs> that I could think of. Edit, kill your darlings. Not all the words need to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, artistically, it was pretty solid. Yes. That was a, not a bad looking book. 
I mean, the part of the problem is going to be, you know, he he's going to. Uh, how do you how do you pronounce his name again? What kind of parents would name their kid that? Did <laughs> uh, John Demencio? Uh, we'll we'll go with that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I hear he's big in Italian comics, but is he? Uh, that doesn't mean I can pronounce his name here in Boston. We're sorry, sir. But it's a, you know, part of what made Flash post New Fifty Two stay on my pull list was what Manipool did. He did very Will Eisner kind of layouts with interesting stuff with logos mm. and interesting page layouts. This is good, solid comic art in this particular issue, but in, in my head, I'm like, eh. The, there was really cool art last time. Well, we'll see how it goes. It was we'll a see. good looking book. Yeah. But yeah, it's again, part of the problem. It's another book that revolves around a fucking Watchmen element. I'm not going to stop beating that drum. It's they they investigated the the button and and the pin has blood on it that's radioactive and it's not a, a frequency that they recognize. Who knows? Well, it's the flash. Doctor Manhattan put his wang on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw out all my comedian pins now. But, uh, look, Flash and <sighs> stop it. <laughs> flash and Kid Flash are at the heart of Flashpoint and Crisis and New 52. If there are any books in this rebirth that shouldn't need Watchmen at all, it would be Flash. You would think. But yet, we keep they keep beating that drum, and I'm going to keep beating it. I beating, don't... You're beating what? <laughs> For a $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. So yeah, n- not bad. <laughs> DC Rebirth brought to you by D's. <laughs> D's. D's. D's nuts. <laughs> I'm twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move away from DC. Uh, okay. Talk about one more Daredevil Eight. Yes. Uh, written by Charles Sewell, art by Goran Sadzutska. What kind of parents would name their kid that? I should know how to pronounce that by now, but I feel like I've seen this guy's art in Outlaw Nation. It's very possible. He's He's been around for a while. Yeah, back but, in the day. Look, I, I like Charles Sewell. I liked his DC stuff. I think he did good work on Red Lanterns of all fucking things. <laughs> yes. And he made Swamp Thing really, really interesting before they canceled it and uh and brought back Len Wein. Or what? I never know. <laughs> I'm not good with names. <laughs> I'm just terrible with fucking names. That's okay. Faces, names, people. I'm just going to start calling him Len Wein, the original writer. Okay. I mean... Not, not like Alan Moore. The OG writer. Yeah. Look, after what's happening with Watchmen and Rebirth, <laughs> Alan Moore is going to start demanding he gets credited as some fucking guy or something so I could use the original writer. I don't know. Yeah. I'm digressing. <clears throat> I do that. You do, But that's, you know, beer for. Yeah. It's been a long episode. A lot of beers. Mm. But yeah, Sewell's work on Daredevil has not really done a lot for me. It's been okay. But we talked about the first issue and... The blind side sidekick is, eh, it's all right. Now, having Matt and Foggy be pissed at each other doesn't do a lot for me. The having no explanation at this point, as far as I can recall, of why now people don't remember who Matt Murdock and Daredevil, why they're the same person. Yep. Uh, and I, I said this when we talked about the first issue, I am not a fan of Matt being a, a DA, a prosecutor. Yeah. It's a complete tonal shift for the character. It is, and it feels like it's it's prosecutor as also 
um, superhero is something that has been explored in things like Kate Spencer as Manhunter. Yeah, and it's also, it's not Daredevil. You know, yeah. Daredevil is about defending the innocent of Hell's Kitchen, not punishing the guilty. Right. That's Batman. That's the Punisher. That's the Punisher. <laughs> Daredevil is about defending people. Right. And sometimes as Daredevil, that means punching somebody out, but it's about defense and not prosecution. It's right. a It's a big shift for the character. I've not been a fan of that. With all that said... This has been the best issue of Daredevil that Sewell has done. This is a really good comic book. Yeah. I mean, what, what was your impression? Well, it was interesting. I mean, they took him out of New York, so he's in Macau. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> what kind of parents would name their kid that? It's a, it's a territory or country or some shit like that. I don't know, city. It's, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a, an area that had formerly been a Portuguese colony that they, they gave back to China <laughs> and is now sort of... Um, an unregulated playground where people can get their yayas out <laughs> um, in not mainland China. China. <laughs> there you go. Um, and they've got him, the blind guy, at, at a poker game <laughs> using all of his other extra normal senses to see through the bluffs of those at the table. Oh, yeah. The opening page of this <laughs> is the best one I've seen. It's a full-page splash of Matt Murdock in a tux yeah, at the poker table saying, I raise 50000 And the thought captions are saying, these cards I'm holding? Absolutely no idea what they are. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, then you turn to the, the recap page, which is the reverse of sort of what Marvel's been doing right now. So it's, yeah, right when you open the cover, this big, interesting... <laughs> yeah, it's, okay, you have my attention. Go on. <laughs> it's just a great opening. I didn't mean it. No, no, interrupt. no, because you're right. Because, you know, this is a weird book. Um, it's not in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Um, he's. They do have him doing some Daredevil stuff, um, but it turns out, spoilers, uh, it's because of some information he got off the Black Cat, who's a Spider-Man villain, and and then at the end, he's teaming up with Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Seemingly. It's, yeah, it's, it takes him out of New York. You know, we only, most of them we see him in costume is in flashback. None of his supporting characters are around. So yeah, this should not be the kind of Daredevil story I like. It seems like he's he's here tr- tracking down some sort of scam in relation to all of these high-stakes poker games um, that, that you watch that happen in these hotels. And now that we've got mutants and whatnot and humans in, in the world, um, they have their own pet telepath. And one day, like, like you might catch someone counting cards and then decide to put them as a force for good in your hotel, I guess. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> the, just a little world building that he did. Cause, yeah. Because, yeah, the idea of a blind guy playing poker and winning by being able to read tells is cool. Having him challenge against a telepath is even cooler. But yeah, this little, you know, of course in the Marvel Universe, a casino is going to have fucking telepaths on staff. Of course a telepath would decide, oh, you know, a good way I can use my powers and make money and not have to hurt me, but poker. Yeah. Of course they would do that. It was just interesting world building. In- and then the telepath gets stuck, sucked in the, into the morass that is Matt Murdock's mind. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the the idea that his basic power is he sees through the eyes of his opponent, and Murdoch says, "Good luck with that." <laughs> we know how that goes, champ. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, all of that and the mystery of what he's actually after is intriguing. Yeah. Having Matt on this James Bond kind of adventure is different and not a thing that you see. Yeah, and then yeah, the reveal of Spider Man. It's like this is the guy I'm meeting at the end. 
you know, at the, at the end of this whole James Bond cloak and dagger vibe, it's like, all right, now we're back into the superheroic stuff. It was cool. I want to see what happens next. Yeah. And it had some really good character moments. That internal dialogue when Matt is battling the, the, telepath. the telepath in his own head. And he says, I'm always trying to make up my losses. I'm always betting everything I have to get back in the game. My identity, foggy, my happiness. That's as good a one-page description of Daredevil's normal characterization, like non-Mark yeah. Wade characterization as I've seen. Well, and it also gives him the stakes for why he has to win this telepathic battle, which he... he you know, talks about how when he's working with the hand and all that, his senseis gave him the ability not to just to protect himself physically, but also psychically because they can come at you that way. Right. Um, if this telepath gets past um, his defenses, he's going to find out his identity and all the rest. Yeah. So there's more at stake than just the chips on the table. And then it even turns out that, you know, the vi- the, the monetary victory is hollow. He can't cash the check. It's not in his name because he's got an alias that he's been playing under. <laughs> yeah. So it's, he doesn't even get the $10 million. <laughs> he's just in the hole for the 15 grand or whatever yeah. he had to go to do this fucking thing. Now, hopefully Peter Parker can pay him back out of Parker Industries slush fund. Yeah. It's uh, for the first time since Sewell's taken over, you know, yeah. All right. I'm really engaged. I've been reading it every month. But it's so, you know, even, you know, oh, Elektra's back. Uh, all right. Oh, he's got to deal with the aftermath if she doesn't remember he's Daredevil. Yeah, all right, mm-hmm. whatever. It's, uh, no, this is the first time it's like, this is really good, and I really want to see what the next thing is. Yeah. And it, I do want to give a shout to the the colorist on this, uh, Mark Milla. Mm. Um, and I it occurs to me going through it, this is the first time it, it hit me. They, they use a really limited color palette. Miller. Yeah. Uh, they use a really limited color palette in this. Everything is kind of muted and gray, except for when Matt uses his radar sense and for the color red. Yep. So it's it's not really a Sin City look, but it really makes the reds and everything kind of pop. And particularly in this issue, you throw in Matt's wearing this white tuxedo. Yeah. Yeah, this book has a really killer visual. Well, look. and let's be fair. You know, if you if you're putting a white tuxedo on Daredevil, that's a very specific kingpin thing. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's a that's a ooh, really? You threw down, man. <laughs> yeah, you're not fucking around this time. <laughs> but this is yeah, it's the first time I've been excited about what's coming in Daredevil next month, in probably like a year. Because even Wade started to lose me a little, where he's like, "Oh, he's wearing a red suit and mm. just wandering, running around." I'm Matt Murdock. <laughs> I'm wearing a red suit like a smooth pimp. <laughs> <laughs> Check out this suit, and I also have a stable of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got this suit free with my stable of bitches. <laughs> Buy ten bitches, get a free suit. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's. It's a really good issue, and it really hypes up what's coming for the first time in a while. And it's it's a perfect jumping-on point, because I've seen nothing here so far that requires you to have read the earlier Sewell issues. Yeah. So if you've been holding off saying, oh, no, what Mark Wade has done it can't be topped, this is a very different story than that. Right. It's a much more traditional Matt Murdock characterization than that, but... Yeah, or if you listen to our earlier advice on the first issue, it's like, oh, I'm not sure where this is going. I'm not sure I want to do it. This is a good point to jump on. This is a really good single issue of Daredevil. Yeah. We're allowed to change our minds. Exactly. <laughs> it's, I don't know. If a just, better option has come along. Issue eight. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Get treat, in there. Treat it like the first one. This is time to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else on Daredevil? Because we're running long tonight. Yeah. No, I think I'm good. I'm good. 
All right. So we'll wrap it up. I'm good. As usual, I don't know <laughs> where the hell you found this episode because it feels like we're all over the place on the internet at this point. Welcome but, to our mess. Yes. <laughs> and you can always find our mess at our home website. <laughs> crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. I am doing more shit there. You, you are. You can come by and see, <laughs> see what I drunkenly post at about uh, 9 o'clock every night. Uh, <laughs> Facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We are on Tumblr. Come to our Facebook page. But if you go to Tumblr, it's crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. We are on... You were uh, saying Facebook. Face. I did Facebook. Did you? I did Facebook already. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm barely holding it together, too. Don't derail me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm on a roll, goddammit. Uh, we are on iTunes. If this is how you find your particular podcast media, do us a favor and give us a review and a rating. It helps new people find the show. We are on TuneIn Radio. We are on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. No matter what, you can always reach us by email, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. I miss anything? I think that's everything. All right. That is it. This has been episode 117 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Was Superman wearing a dicky? Inquiring minds want to know. I just, it would make my childhood that much sadder if that was the case. I mean, just so sad. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to shut things down now. <laughs>